everybody and welcome back to the interseason between season 11 and season 12 which is coming up soon and is called requalizers we're going to be doing remakes ladies and gentlemen i am your host as always jack chambers ward and joining me also as always it's matthew stockton in 1300 ad they called these men the uh heroes from the sky they were prophesized to have sequelized evil i feel like we sequelize email evil emo Sequelize evil. We sequelize emails. <laughs> we do that as well. We sequelize emo. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? I'm, it's very late. I mean, valid. We've been, we've been fiddling around with our new technology, and it, now it's very late, and I regret playing around with the new technology for so long. Mm-hmm. But we're going to get there. We're going to power through. We're going to record an interseason episode. And of course, the third man of the sequelizers joining us also, as always, it's Tim Maton. Sequelizers have rules too. Friendship, trust, integrity. Always keep your promise. Without rules, we wouldn't sequelize long. That's also true. And for this in-season episode, we'll be talking about fight scenes. Something I'm very excited. Something we kind of touched on a couple of times. It comes up every now and again. Yeah. We like like a fight. We do like a fight. But in fact, this episode was not picked by the three of us, despite us liking a fight. Mm-hmm. It was, in fact, picked by one of our VIPs on patreon.com slash sequelizers. And you can go there to patreon.com slash sequelizers. You can get early access. You can get ad-free episodes. You get them on the Friday before they come out on the Tuesday on the main podcast service releases. What do they get, Jack? <laughs> Glad you asked, Tim. I've already listed two things. Um, they get bonus content, such as the full interseason bonus episodes. They are, as I said, full episodes. It's not just extra little bits and pieces and, oh, we'll just chuck it in there because it's a Patreon stuff. They are full, out-and-out, banging, proper good interseason episodes, as you would expect from the rest of the interseason. You, we don't... you do get weird shit, like literally a sound test of us going through <laughs> augmented voices and so, yeah, minion filth. You, you might get that because we've finally set up our new uh, recording device, the Rodecaster Pro 2, which, thank you to your support on Patreon, we were able to afford and upgrade our mm. equipment and stuff. We are now all plugged in with headphones and stuff. In the future, you may hear like extra sound effects and stuff once we work out how to get all that stuff going, but still in the early days, but we could not do this without you guys on Patreon, and it is a massive, massive help for us to be able to keep our... Like we had to buy a new mic stand the other week, and we were just able we to do that because we have Patreon supporters. So thank you all so much. And since you asked what they get, Tim, like I said, they get bonus content, they get early access, they get ad-free access, you get exclusive merch, you get discounts on merch, you get to vote. You get to vote on a Requalizers episode coming up very, very soon. I'll give you a little hint right now. Some horror remakes coming up for the Patreon vote. There'll be three, three horror remakes for you to choose from. And uh, yeah, we'll get to discuss that with you in the future. And if you go to the highest of the tiers, the top two tiers, you go to £30 tier or higher, you become an executive producer like these fine folks have done. David Selinger. Oh God, no, please, no! For some reason, I thought of my first fight with Tyler. No! Canis Rufus. I'm gonna fight you. I'm sorry, what? 
I am going to fight you. And Marcus Lindstrom. You want to fight? Thank you, executive producers. As I said, you make this whole thing possible. You make our upgraded equipment and our replacement mic stands and our web hosting and all that kind of stuff possible thanks to your support. But if you go to the very highest of the tiers on patreon.com slash equalizers, you can become a VIP just like these fine folks have done. Stuart Main. Let them fight. Hyper Dude Man. I'm going to fight you, Steve. You never say, I'm going to fight you, Steve. You just smile and act natural, and then you sucker punch it. Philip Morgan. Come on, stop trying to hit me and hit me. James McDowell. Josh Miles. Oh, don't hit back. And the VIP that has asked us to discuss fight scenes, following up on their interesting choice that's very related, where we did an entire episode about Donnie Yen in the previous interseason, which we'll probably touch on again because he does a lot of fight scenes, does old Donnie. It's Jonathan Firth Clark. 500. 500 what, douchebag? 500 fights. That's the number I figured when I was a kid. 500 street fights and you can consider yourself a legitimate tough guy. Thank you, EPs, VIPs, everyone on Patreon for your amazing support. We really, really appreciate it. As I said, it's thanks to you that we get to do all this cool stuff. The fact that it's free for everyone else on all the other podcast services and all that kind of stuff. We really, really appreciate your support, and we have some big, big plans coming up in the rest of 2023, whether that's requalizers, whether that's the live streams, whether that's all the other kind of stuff. Then We've already planning new merch, put it that way. We haven't left it six months to then plan merch like we usually do. We're actually ahead of ourselves at the moment. It's very, very exciting. Tell them what they get, Jack. Shut up, Tim. <laughs> Go back in the box, Tim. So this, no, Tim is goading you into a fight. Oh, I see. So that uh, basically, you know, th- th- we can put in the sound effects of pow. Not to put too fine a point on it, Tim, but I'm guessing you've been in the fewest fights of the three sequelizers. I can't imagine you're a lover, not a fighter. Uh, yeah, I've not been in zero fights. And that's 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 the that's bar we're setting here at Sequel. The few the fewest term. the fewest fights here on sequelizers is not zero. Mm-hmm. That's important. Every day's a fight with myself to get out of bed. Hey, there we go. Every day's a struggle. Every day's a fight. Yeah, yeah. in terms of existential fights, I feel like I've definitely <laughs> been in a lot of those. Physical fights is Matthew. Existential fights is Tim. Yeah. I'm somewhere in the middle doing a bit of both. The undefeated heavyweight champion of the universe, <laughs> Tim Matum. <laughs> but yes, we should probably dive into yes. talking about some fight scenes. Of course, in the second half, we will go into some of our personal favorites, some of our personal highlights and uh, if you're thinking, oh, they haven't mentioned that thing in the first half, it might come up in the second half. So stay tuned for three picks each for exciting, cool, badass fight scenes coming up in the second half. I'm going to kick right off. Ah! Do, do not. I'm going to kick off. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, straight away with a bit of clarification. 
So I was speaking to a friend about this and discussed that we are talking about uh, fight scenes and the significance and the history. And, you know, there's so much you can talk about um, because technically, as one could argue, slapstick, it offers the opportunity for a lot of fight scenes um, and that kind of stuff. And that's been around before sound was in movies, you know? Yeah. So uh, it's something with, that's mm. been, been linked with cinema for a long time. Mm. Um, well, we've, we've discussed stunts in a previous season, and, and that has a huge and storied history that goes all the way back to pre-sound and, and the earliest days of cinema. Absolutely. And, and, and because cinema is a, or picks up where theatre already trod ground, you get the idea, it's like, yeah, stage fighting is a thing. So you're kind of used to people who are um, skilled in making a, a, a punch look real, even though it isn't. Uh, and cinema, because of how you can cut, how you can move the camera, how you can do all these things, enhances that. But also, unlike the theatre, because the camera is so close, you have to do things very, very well. And there's a thing I tell every actor, probably told you guys this on set at one point, it's not the person throwing the punch that sells the punch. Mm. It's the person taking the punch that sells me. I was like, oh, look at me, really cool, look at me, really badass. No. No, it's the person flinging their head back that makes it look like it hurt. Mm. That's the one that makes That's why Jackie Chan is always one of the best ones for it. Because of course he's like skilled and whatever. And obviously Bruce Lee's as fast as anything. Mm. But the people flying away going mm. and, you know, launching all over the scene. That's what makes you think, holy shit, this person's powerful. They've gone straight down. Mm. That kind of thing. It's uh, a, a thing that's very common in professional wrestling. Uh, there we just go. To, just learning, to say Jack's, learning to sell. Yeah. Jack's trigger phrase um, is, yeah, learning to sell a hit and being able to convey that power is like an essential skill and, and, and almost, like you say, more important than being able to pull off the moves is being able to demonstrate the other person's yeah. power um, so that those those stunts that are set they're essentially doing in professional mm -hmm. wrestling it's you know uh feel impactful and and have a, a weight and a gravity to them that's exactly it i think that's the that's the gravitas i think it's the whole point of that the presence the thing that makes the audience go oh oh god ah and mm. it hurts you somehow mm. um or otherwise feel satisfied like yeah fuck him up that, yeah that's the sense of satisfaction that comes from it um Obviously, sound goes along with it. We'll come into this as well because, mm. yes, the physicality is a very, very important aspect. But additionally, the sound of what a punch. I mean, we got so many of these doof, 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 doof sound <laughs> effects, and it's always and foley artists come in, and there's a mm. whole thing. But what I wanted to do quickly. We need touch to do on, a whole episode on foley. Oh, we absolutely. Will. That'd be mm. fascinating. Mm. I believe there was a, there was a thing I saw the other day that was there are more astronauts than there are professional foley artists oh. in 2022. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's crazy. And also, yeah, let's face it, it's an industry where you have to have a very specific set of skills and mm, very specific... A very particular set of skills. <laughs> I hit a and bag it, of beans. It can Sound in a fight can completely change how the fight feels. Yep. Because, um, mark your watches, I'm going to mention the MCU already. Uh, um, most of the fights in that tend to feel a little bit weightless. Mm -hmm. Whereas you go back to something like Blade, and you listen to the sound when Blade is doing fights. And every time he punches someone, it sounds like he breaks eight bones in their <laughs> yeah. body. And it's amazing. Yeah. Um, and it does, especially when you're dealing with characters who are meant to be superhuman in some respect. Or even yeah. just 
the peak of human and they're meant to be so dangerous that they can, you know, take down dozens of people or whatever. Mm -hmm. That sound sells so much of that. As much as we've talked about the performance of the person getting hit, the audio experience of that fight Mm -hmm. is so key. Tim, hold your hand out. Let me take that MCU baton from you for a second. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, I, I, the, the friend I mentioned earlier, we were talking about this, and I said about fight sequence stuff, and I said about how curiously we obviously think of certain genres. Mm. You think about, even to be fair, like westerns, you think, oh yeah, the gunfights. Like, yeah, but you also get the big fight in the bar, in mm-hmm. the saloon, yeah. kick through a door. And obviously, obviously, martial arts films are at the forefront of this stuff. Mm-hmm. But then I brought up the MCU. And I said, can you name me two good fights from the MCU? Oh, sorry, one good fight from the MCU that does not include anything from Winter Soldier yeah. or Shang-Chi. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, 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 I can. Hang on, hang on. And I said, no, 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 no. Because he said again, well, what about this? And like, oh, in Civil War. I said, that's a chase sequence. Mm-hmm. I was like, what do you mean? Well, think about it. When, when Bucky and Cap and Black Panther are all racing past and doing the running and something, mm. they're fighting each other. I was like, yeah, they're not. They're not really fighting yeah. each other. Yeah. Um, and because of CGI, you think like, well, Black Panther, the fight, the real fight sequence. Yeah, you're like, you know, uh, the where uh, Mbaku challenges T'Challa and stuff. Like that. mm. Oh, yeah, that, that's something. But it feels so short. Yeah. Mm. The the fight scenes at like the waterfall, the mm. The, mm. the warriors fall, that the, yes. the challenger mm. for the Black Panther title and all that kind of stuff. They feel like big epic fight scenes because they're set up as an arena and it's mm-hmm. a whole thing and there's weapons and all this kind of stuff. But then you think of the finale, the big, CGI mess. the big CGI mess with the vibranium train and that whole thing. And it's like, oh, no, you're totally right, Tim. Like the sound can affect that. But also bringing in things like CGI versus practical and actually yeah. using like proper martial artists and stump formers when you have these like rubbery CGI blobs just kind of slapping the shit out of each other. And there's there doesn't feel like there's that much weight to it. Mm-hmm. Whereas you take something... At, Again, sticking with the MCU because hello, three white guys on a podcast. Sure. Um, something that really stood out to me is the Green Goblin versus Spider Man in No Way Home. Oh, okay. Where he mm. like power bombs him through like multiple mm-hmm. layers of a floor, mm. and then right at the very end, spoiler alert for last year film, whatever. <laughs> uh, two years. It's now twenty twenty three, right, guys? Yeah. Yes. Yep. <laughs> um, when there's the final thing and, and Tom Holland's Spider-Man is like about to kill Green Goblin and Tobey Maguire steps in and like helps him like deal with his rage and all that kind of stuff. There's some moments there and this is something we'll definitely touch on later on is like it's more of a story thing and more of an emotional thing. It doesn't feel like a heavily choreographed thing. I think the first one does when uh-huh. Green Goblin like turns mm. and attacks everybody in the in the building and Aunt May dies and that whole thing. I remember in the cinema thinking like, fucking hell, he just threw him through a wall. Then Green Goblin feels mega powerful, like out, mm. seemingly out of nowhere because it does have weight to it and it actually feels like he can throw Tom Holland through a wall and like I said, he power bombs him through like three floors of the building mm. and stuff like that. You get that moment. But on the other side of that, to jump over to the DC side of things, you get shit like Man of Steel uh, yeah. where you're just punching people through buildings over and over. Oh, an IHOP! product placement and it's like for fuck's sake product placement and destruction yeah yeah (laughs) is there's this weird kind of thing where because we're so saturated with these like even outside of the typical superhero genre like take something like fast and furious 
they're basically superheroes now where speaking 100%. of pe- speaking of people punching through buildings like mm. Vin Diesel on the rock fight on top of a like multi-story car park that demolishes around them because they're punching each other so hard. Oh, I got chains and I'm smashing the ground so mm. all the cars are like collapsing and mm. stuff like these are just blokes. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> and I think we we're, we're kind of getting to the point now no shit we're getting oversaturated with superhero stuff but where that's kind of permeating further outside of that specific genre mm. and really influencing so much of the fight scenes and the action we're seeing outside of that as well. It was so refreshing to see certain other things where they take it way more seriously. And I think something we'll touch on later is like kind of like these blends of like, oh, this is gritty, realistic stuff that then ties into like there's there's elements of gunfighting and martial arts and it's all blended together in that kind of the the modern era of like the revitalization of the action genre, I feel is almost like a whiplash to this like uh, there's loads of CGI and it all feels a bit weightless and everybody's punching each other mm. through buildings and none of it really matters. You actually have now in the last sort of five to ten years we have this revitalization with things like Atomic Blonde and John Wick and all this kind of stuff where you're getting this fights that feel consequential and, and impactful. Yeah, I think a lot of that comes down to director. Not only a director in terms of vision of what is going to be shown, but a director who has the humility, shall we say, to step back and talk to us, a, a, a stunt team, a fight choreography a choreography team, and saying, what can you do with this? And just to harp on about superheroes again, because mm. I, I praise this film a lot, obviously in my review, and also my rundown of 2022. The Batman. Mm. Matt Reeves gets a good fight. Oh, yeah. Uh, in all the, 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 um, the apes films that he's involved in, um, the ape sequels, I should say, ape sequel, prequels, prequels, sequels. Yeah. Um, but the Batman is much more grounded and unlike, because Nolan's fights are good to a degree, and then you got like people just sort of stand there waiting to to, to take their turn, as it were. But in Reeves, the dudes one, falling over in the background and stuff yes. like that's always fun. But in Reeves, one you got like the they look off into the dark, and he just steps out and he just wails on people. And then that that opening scene where he beats up the teens, yes. and just punches and punches and punches and punches and punches and punches and punches, punches, punches. every like, single hit. Oh fuck! Yeah. Okay, this guy means business. Mm. He and doesn't then just knock him out with one punch. No. Knock him out with one punch. There's well, a proper like. But there's even bits like that. But do happen where he's working his way through the club to get to the penguin. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh sweetheart, take it easy. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's but it still feels. And even then him slamming his fist into the, and this is what I'm trying to sort of get to the point here about the nature of directors and having that humility and having that cohesion. Mm. Because when later we see him smashing his fist into the wall saying, you know, screaming at Riddler, it feels like he should be able to break that window. <laughs> of course he can't. He's mm. just a dude. But he, we just saw him rinse through people. Mm. And so you know he's strong. You know he's powerful. Um, in a way, we have that in, again, like the Nolan thing with... with um, uh, with Bane, you know, but then eventually when that Bane fight happened, it was, it, there's all kinds of things here. Mm. But as I say, I do, I do feel it's that vision and the, uh, the, the connection between rather than saying, right now, hand off to the CGI people and they'll figure it out. Mm. And you lose that, uh, element of control. Um, you lose that. I mean, even if you're sitting there saying, no, change this, make that whatever. Um, it becomes less memorable, less signature, less less involved with the actor performing or mm. that kind of stuff. There's a whole there's a whole ream of where we are now, basically. Mm. I do want to bust in there because I think we we slightly run the danger of falling into a trap that a lot of people mm-hmm. have, which is where you go, 
oh, fights are only good if they're realistic. And realistic, realistic becomes this term which has actually complete, almost completely lost all meaning. It's like the term dark in cinema or something like that. <laughs> yeah. um, and it is perfectly fine to have fights where the impacts don't really matter and or they're, they're not realistic or they're not, they're not grounded in a sense of reality as we have. And in fact, some could argue that a lot of the problem with some of the action, some of the fights in the MCU is that they're too beholden to their sense of what they have termed as realism of like, you know, oh no, we want this grounded in, in a reality and we have this level of reality. You know, obviously it's a reality where there's superheroes and there's armored suits and all this kind of stuff, but mm, you yeah. know, no, it still feels realistic. And sometimes what you want in a fight scene actually is something that is a lot more almost impressionistic and you want something that is stylized and you want something that conveys the emotion and the sensation of the fight without necessarily being a hundred percent realistic and you can do really interesting things with that and i think especially i get very frustrated that our portrayal of superpowers feels very creatively dull at the moment um, fair, and i think fair. there's ways to utilize the tools of filmmaking and, and storytelling through film that we're not taking advantage of it certainly in most mainstream big budget films your mcus your dceus etc 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 um i think there's more interesting ways to do stuff that would require a bolder filmmaking vision and a, and a license to do stuff like that. And, you know, that includes fight scenes, you know, you can do interesting creative stuff. You only have to look at things like animation to yeah, that's true. see different ways of approaching these kind of things. And you can do stuff, you know, and, and realism is great. And I, you know, I'm as big a fan of stuff like the John Wick series as, as there is. And, you know, there is a there is a reason why that works, but you can do different stuff and still have it be effective. It, the, the question tends to be intentionality. And the problem with something like the Black Panther finale fight mm -hmm. is that they're aiming for something and missing. They didn't want it to be a floaty CGI mess where nothing feels realistic. They were aiming for that grounded MCU grounded in quotation marks mm -hmm. uh, you know borderline realistic feel that you know that, that the fights on the waterfall have you know where it's where it's this very much you know it's you know oh we're taking inspiration from brazilian jiu-jitsu in the fighting and stuff like that as well as you know african styles of fighting and the weaponry and stuff like that and it's all going to be quite you know grounded and we're going to see people you know tapping out and stuff like that and it feels feels visceral and it feels you know that kind of thing and then you move to this thing and you're like well, this feels so detached from what we saw earlier that it doesn't really work. Whereas what you want to feel in that situation is a continuity because it's, in terms of the plot of the film, literally, it is still the same fight. That is the reason that T'Challa is able to come back and be like, hey, I never submitted and you didn't, and it turns out you didn't kill me. So technically we're still having that fight. And, yeah. But they feel stylistically so different from one another that that fight doesn't work. You know, I, I, I think isolated, it still wouldn't work because of ropey CGI issues and stuff like that and darkness and, and all those kind of things. But you could make an argument for if, if, if you were trying to make a much more balletic 
you know, almost like kind of wuxia film yeah. style, then something like that could maybe be much more acceptable. But it's the it's the disconnect between the two types of fight that you've established there, because the second one was just well, we hand this over to, oh, and we want to establish, you know, they've both got the the panther herb now, the heart-shaped herb. We want them to be, like, leaping off of stuff and doing backflips. And it's like, yeah, but the grammar of the film fight that you have established earlier was this, and now it's so different. That's exactly it. That, that, that really nails it. And I think you, you've... I'm Actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take past Tim's words here. Okay. Um, Because... um. You, you've really hit an important note there, Tim. Fights all feel the same. They feel, inverted commas, realistic. Except, again, to quote Tim, the most realistic fight he'd ever seen was Too Fast, Too Furious. It's guys scrapping on a floor. <laughs> it looks shitty. It's, it's, it's a lot of dust and kicks up and, and grappling. And, mm. and it's like, this is embarrassing. It's like, yeah, that's how a fight is. Yeah. The, probably one of the most realistic fights in cinema is in Bridget Jones' diary. There you go. Yeah. Two, <laughs> two out, of, out of shape men yeah. crashing through a window accidentally. Yeah. yeah. Except just they wouldn't. Tug, just tugging at each other's shirts yeah. and yeah. just scrapping. The unrealistic part in that is that they would never break the window. They'd just no. bang into it. Maybe it would crack. And yeah. then everyone would go, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> this is real. And it would probably stop there. Yeah. So you have that end of the spectrum where it's like those two fights, which are almost always played for comedy. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is ridiculous. It's like because fighting is ridiculous. It is stupid, yeah. And then you have the other end of the spectrum, which is fantasy. And I by that I mean uh Dragon Ball superhero. Mm -hmm. That it's like, this is impossible. This is beyond the realms of not only human experience, but just like nonsense. And for those who don't know, it's an animated movie. And it's like, you know, beings can fly and grow different sizes and mm. every throw energy balls. Precisely. And, yeah. it's, it's the most over the top thing you can imagine versus some bloke scrapping on a floor. And <clears> in between that vast chasm of what is possible, we always end up in the exact same four out of ten. <laughs> and it's like, we've got one where it's this and ten where it's most extreme. Let's have a four every time. Mm. It's like, ugh, what does that mean? You know, because Bond is going to be like, give this guy a chokehold. It's very familiar. It's a bit of Krav Maga. And it's mm. like, yeah, but... You know that's not real, right? He just got straight up again. He didn't get lamped out. Mm. And there's like, what about if we had to like maybe to a five or a six, like the last duel where it's like brutal and slow and bloody and horrible. It's like, yeah, we could do that. Or like, you know, I get that more, maybe it's more two, but more yeah, realistic yeah. that sense of the, yeah. of the word rather than, rather than six. But you know, it, it, it's the entertainment factor. Mm. You're not there to just see something that's very much like, you know, in the same way a narrative story structure People, the way people talk and exchange dialogue and show emotion. It's heightened to, to follow a narrative track so mm. we can follow it as a story rather than go, Jesus, this is tedious. So subsequently, you need that level of compromise. And if you, if you just let go of that for a minute, you can achieve a lot of things. And there are certain films which put that front and center and say, well, we're going to make this film about the fighting. That's what mm. it's all going to be about. And, and then that's when you end up getting into the genre of like, oh, it's a martial arts film. I'm like, well, mm -mm. martial arts films are actually, in fact, dramas or comedies <laughs> or uh, romances. They just happen to have a lot of fighting in them as opposed to something as, 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 as a, uh, a, a perfunctory piecemeal bit that just comes up every now and again. Like, oh, here it is. It's like, yeah, because you felt you needed it. One of the important things to remember here is you know we're not talking about real fights we're talking about fights within narratives yes definitely. and yes. they are 
serving a narrative purpose. Sometimes the purpose is we wanted an action. See, an executive producer was like, ah, there's been a lot of talking so far. Let's throw in an action scene <laughs> for the lads. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's purely a question of spectacle and we're worried that the audience might be mm-hmm. getting a little bored. But a fight in a movie is always serving a purpose and it's usually the best when it's serving a emotional or a story purpose. Yeah, it's always been a bit of an adage that people say, oh, I don't like musicals. And it's like, it's the same as a fight scene. So what do you mean? Well, the emotion is so building up that you can't help but sing. Yeah. It's like, well, <laughs> how often do you punch someone in the face? It's it's a rarity in normal society. Yeah. So how often do you sing in someone's face? Hopefully, equally rare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and conflict in a general terms, not just in terms of actual fighting, but conflict between characters, between, you know, a character and an institution or whatever is kind of the foundation of storytelling. We want mm. to see people struggle and hopefully overcome some kind of obstacle. And one of the easiest ways to express that in a story is like, I want to do a thing and this person wants to do the other thing or they want to stop me from doing the thing I want to do and now we fight. Now and we when I fight. And when I've won the mm-hmm. fight, that is an expression of me overcoming this obstacle and now I can do the thing or I've stopped them from doing the bad thing. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's there's a reason that you can go back to mythology and our earliest storytelling and there's lots of people fighting in it because that is a foundational way and it, and it's a lot easier to write and then they fought and it was a great fight and we do it all the time in our pitches then it's they have true. a fight and it's great and uh, and it's a lot easier to write that than it is to write then they have a philosophical debate about <laughs> you know the, their different points of view or they have this really emotional weighty drama scene and if you're writing an actual story and not just a pitch, you then have to write that emotional drama scene. And sometimes it's easier just to say, and then he throws a punch and then he dodges out of the way and he ducks under and he punches him in the ribs and it's really cool. And then he kicks him into a volcano. Um, and, <laughs> and, then like, and then he holds him and says, I've always loved you, dad. Yeah. It's like, you could have just probably explained it. No, 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 no. I yeah. had to fight it out. Yeah. There's an inherent like human nature to fighting, right? Because... Yeah. I hate this phrase and I disagree with it, but it applies here and whatever. Uh, people like Dana White, president of the UFC, Jim Cornette, despicable, horrible person, but wrestling promoter, describe why people resonate with combat sports specifically. So wrestling, boxing, MMA, all that kind of stuff. Is that everyone knows what a fight is. Everyone understands the concept of fighting. That's so like baked into our human DNA. Mm. There are no like... Oh, um, so you've got to get the ball, right? And you take it to zone three. And if you drop it <laughs> in the ground in zone three, that's six points. But if you kick it over zone three into zone four, that's 10 points. You're like, none of that shit. Somebody hit I don't know what game per- you're describing, but it sounds amazing. Right? <laughs> it was Blood Bowl. Um, <laughs> it was a Warhammer reference. Um, and th- I think it's the phrase of like, oh, if there's a basketball game happening in one, like in this park over here, Somebody's playing a football match over here. Somebody's playing tennis over here and a fight breaks out. Everybody gathers around the fight and it's like, ah, <laughs> oh, fight, fight, fight. And there's this weird, like, like I said, DNA blood thing in humans to be like, yeah, fights. Yeah, it's a thing. Mm. Obviously, it's a big part of toxic masculinity, which is something we'll be touching on regularly on this episode, I think. But there is that element to it, right? That, Like you said, Matt, there's that moment 
where it translates from musicals to fight scenes and, and vice versa, where the emotions just overflow and you have to throw a punch or kick somebody off a thing or whatever it is. There's that moment where the emotional becomes and turns into this physical thing. And there's the phrase about musicals, right? Where, it, oh, you, you can't express it through speech. You have to sing about it. And if you can't express it through singing, you have to dance about it. And then the same thing of like, oh, if you can't resolve this through words, start throwing punches or start <laughs> shooting people in the case of some yeah. action films and all this kind I, of stuff. The, I feel like the action movie equivalent of that is like, if you can't express it through words, you start shooting. And if you can't shoot, you start punching. Yes. Because it's like... <laughs> it's like, closer. Yeah, exactly. It's that thing of like, it's more intimate, you know. Uh, to quote it, Leon. Yeah. Yes. The knife is the one you have lost because it's the closest you get. Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. trying to remember how Enemy at the Gates ends. Like, do they, I can't remember if they actually like get up close to each other. Sort of. Yeah. 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 Because it's like, Still yeah. Snipes, as but then, yeah. F- a, a, a battle between snipers feels so impersonal. Mm-hmm. Whereas something like, you know, a, a boxing match, you're like, but you're looking the other person in the eye. Without spoiling one of my picks for the second half, like one of the main characters in the fight scene specifically like throws away a gun and says, oh, no, nah, don't want to deal with that. This is what it's all about. And he yeah. like, flexes his hands like, it's so much better. It feels it's all about the rush. Yeah. You do it with your bare hands. And it's about squeezing the life out of the other person. You're like, oh, God, he's a nutter. <laughs> <laughs> but that's totally a thing, right? Like having that, how many times do you get it's weird to compare it to like sex and stuff like that but like it's a physical intimate thing Mm. and i found that really weird when i first started doing like jujitsu and stuff when i was in university i'm like i'm rolling around in shorts with a bunch of other people regardless of gender or whatever Mm. and and sexuality like i have never been in this situation with anyone else before this is really weird like Mm. there's this level of intimacy to a fist fight or a you know whether you're punching or kicking or grappling or whatever it is but as soon as you get into that close quarters thing it's like you're kind of like hugging them like there's mm-hmm. an element you're so close there and there's an element of vulnerability there as well because like you said you, you suddenly knives are involved or something and you know matt you know this from fights on the streets and that as soon as you get in that close quarters that's when shit goes down so little stuff actually like oh so few fights in real life actually end with like a dude throws one punch and knocks them out and you yeah. keep them at range with your jab or whatever like they do in boxing. Fights end with you, one someone running away. Yeah. Uh, or or scrap. I mean, um, not to get too personal, not to get too visceral. Uh, Undefeated champion of the streets. <laughs> no, very defeated, very often. <laughs> um, no, I remember when, at one point I was jumped uh, and no matter what films tell you, more than one person is not a fair fight. You're going to get fucked up because you can't see around you all the time. Yeah. Uh, and I was jumped in at one point. Um, I was pinned down and uh, these drunk dickheads pulled the spirit cap off of a bottle. Mm. Don't know if you've ever looked at those things. They are sharp. sharp. Yeah. And drilled it like into my bicep. I just have a little circular scar there. And it's like, what is this? And it's it, just to make a film comparison for this, although not nearly the same thing, really. The one of the most uncomfortable moments and lasting moments in a film of tons of lasting painful moments. It's not the shelling on the beach. It's not the tank stuff. It's the scene in Saving Private Ryan where Private Mellish is fighting with that Nazi and Upham is watching and the knife is very slowly for and they're rolling around the floor. They're rolling over dead bodies and there's ammunition going everywhere and that knife is being pushed and you're like, no, stop. And you can see it and they're begging with each other. They're pleading. It's like, this is horrible yeah. because of what it actually means. Yeah. Um, I saw a film 
this year they did a, a new adaptation of the Germans did an adaptation of All Quiet on the Western Front. Yes. Mm. And there's a scene in the book and in a lot of the film versions where um, Paul uh, shoots this French soldier and um, he's dying and he stabs him <laughs> repeatedly, but he's not dead. And so then he tries to kind of smother him with mud and then he tries to apologize to him and it's, it's horrible. And he sits there just staring at this corpse dying from the... It's a... Mm. By the way, anyone listening to this, I'm sorry, it's very visceral, but that's the nature of it. This is what we think of. That's realistic fighting. Mm. That's to take you to a place you don't want to go because it should be abhorrent to your system. Whereas fantasy over the top really like, yeah! Oh, that's so cool! That's a ballet. That's a dance. That's a performance with violence involved. That's... I mean, because in Black's... Um, Black Swan... Um, Swan Lake, you have technically fight scenes, but they're done in a sort of yes, poetic yeah. way. Mm, yeah. um, but then it's about the emotionality you're trying to convey. It's what you're trying to get across to the audience. As an actor, as a director, as a storyteller, what's the point of the fight? Mm. And if you're doing what most films are doing, there is no point to the fight. <laughs> it's just a fight. You've already failed. Yeah. The, uh, the, 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 the thing that I have gleaned about real life injuries and fighting is that uh it's a hell of a lot harder to knock someone out than films would have you believe 100% and it's yeah. a lot easier to kill someone than films would have you believe absolutely yes. really is so time back and we're, we're hovering on like the realism side of things we'll get to the more fantastical stuff in a moment but to to you're totally right there tim i remember getting into fights in like high school and middle school and stuff and i was the big kid I'm I'm a big kid now, and I was a big kid then. <laughs> I've been six foot plus since I was like 13 or 14. I was this fucking gigantic, like, teenager, basically. So I had all the other kids trying to prove themselves and beat up the big kid to prove how cool and hard they were. You are a, a boss to be overcome. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, the, I'm the final boss to be like, see, I beat up the big kid. It doesn't matter if you can fight or not. You're just big. <laughs> yeah. And therefore, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately for them... I could fight. So, <laughs> um, and you're totally right, Tim. Like the the way people convey, again, me going into like my martial arts knowledge and all that kind of stuff. Like the way people choke people out in films. First of all, the technique is almost always terrible and makes no sense, and that's not how chokes work. But they like, oh, 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 and he's dead. Like that's that's not how that works you have to hold that for a while mm. you're really struggling and people again if you've watched ufc or anything like that or like versions of fight mm. scenes and we'll come on to some later like i said but there's that whole like hand fighting and people struggle and you get those like last gasps of air or you get a moment where somebody's stabbed and like oh he stabbed and he's dead like that's not how stabbings work you bleed to death from a stabbing mm. so unless you're like stabbed through the temple or like you know some fatal mortal wound mm. you tend to be like yeah i'm still alive for the next like 10 15 20 minutes slowly mm. bleeding out do like, a reservoir dogs exactly yeah yeah mm. you can get a shot and die very very slowly but so many of these we've gotten so used to kind of that the more fantastical action scene the, the whole like 80s thing where it's just like, oh you just mow down a million people mm. bang, bang, bang 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 it's one shot each it's one punch one blow whatever it is that's not how that works. It's really hard. Like professional people who have trained how to knock people out struggle to knock other people out mm. in like mixed martial arts and kickboxing and boxing and mm. all that kind of stuff. 
And if you think you're just going to throw a punch and knock a bloke out because you saw it on YouTube once, it's very, very unlikely. <laughs> and the other side of what you said there, Tim, is hugely key. And um, to, to go back to like street fighting and stuff like that, people die because they fall over onto concrete and hit their head. Mm. You don't need to be knocked out. Somebody can tackle you. Somebody can knock you over and you can trip over something. Somebody literally trips you over, you hit your head on the pavement and you die. Mm. There's no like, oh, there's a big like final blow, big finishing move or anything like that. It's That's usually not how fights go. You, as you rightly said, Matt, you get people running away and shit like that because, oh shit, this has gone too far. Oh no. Oh God, this is terrible. And there are moments like that in films where you get those kind of like again the, the visceral reality of it all like oh shit this has gone too far like totally not a fight scene but the curb stomp scene in american history x mm. is a thing that always sticks in my brain of like you don't really see it but you get the you feel it well, you mm. fe exactly you feel it thank you yeah you get that real kind of like visceral feeling of the whole thing and i think some films do a brilliant job of like bringing in that sort of thing private ryan is another perfect example of having that like here's the horrors of reality <laughs> everybody yay like that and then on the other side of that bridget jones's diary <laughs> that's silly bollocks but it's also realistic but then we're able to then take those things learn from those things and turn them into these fantastical fight scenes throughout cinema as well the one i would point to and obviously now looking at it we don't think of it as like oh that's a grounded realistic film but at the time it was somewhat revolutionary compared to the other things that were coming out of Hollywood, is uh, Die Hard. Oh, yeah, good show. And the bit where he has the initial fight with Carl's brother, whose name I can't remember at the moment, um, and it ends by they're just grappling each other and they fall down the stairs and you just hear him go, ah! Yep. And, it, and, yeah. and, and when I first watched it, I was like, what? Oh, he's dead. Yeah. He's, he's dead. You know what you don't hear? Yeah. Some bullshit. yeah it's yeah. just yeah. it's just very quick and it's just like and now i watch it and i'm like that's so clever because it's yeah. it's so understated in yep. a way because he's just like oh yeah we just felt and and it, it literally could have been either of us mm -hmm. i just happened to land in the right way and he landed in the wrong way and now he's dead yep, and now yep. i'm gonna take his jumper and write on it <laughs> <laughs> the one that always jumps out to me is um the godfather because of course it does godfather part one where um, this big, tall fucking police officer, uh, you've got Michael Corleone standing guard of his father who's been shot, and he's, you know, doo -doo -doo -doo. Um, and similarly, sometimes you can survive a lot of bullets forever. Sometimes you get hit by one, it spins you in the shoulder and you die, and like, yeah. oh shit. But he's in surgery, he's, you know, and his, it, Michael is watching over it. Um, and the policeman's there, the police captain, says, stand him up. Doosh! Hits him once. And for... Um, effectively the next uh 20 minutes of the movie while he's recuperating in italy his face is all blown up mm. yeah. It's like, yeah it's like one hit it's like yeah one hit will fuck your face mm. up yeah it's not a natural thing to be hit it's a defense yeah. because i'm healing things it's it's the thing of like if you when you see boxers get knocked out yeah they are knocked out for mm, three seconds mm -hmm. like and that's, that's and that's enough to cause permanent brain injury that, that's if a concussion you, yes if you are knocked out for like a minute or like like how most films will have it be where it's like oh yeah 20, 20, 25 minutes later they get woken up and they're strapped to a chair it's you're like dead. oh no you're dead you're a dead person yes, at that yeah. point like you maybe you wake up and you are 
you are essentially brain dead. Vegetative. Like you yeah, are in exactly, a vegetative yeah. state. Yeah. Yeah. That the the knockout thing has always been a a bugbear for me because it's been such a prevalent thing in video games, right? You get that, <laughs> like, oh yeah, bam, 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 and you knock him out. You hit, as long as you hit him with three punches, then he'll go down yeah. or whatever. Knock out this guard, and Batman you know, doesn't kill, right? Exactly. <laughs> perfect example right you're going around in arkham city and you're knocking these guys out and oh you dropped him on his head with like this big like suplexy thing mm. on the road that guy's <laughs> dead and i like yeah. how they kind of address it later on where you get the guards coming back and being like oh man when i was beaten up by the bear he broke my arm earlier Ugh. and like, my hospital bills are going through the roof because of this guy <laughs> it's funny but he would be killing people. <laughs> and you're totally right, Tim. Like, having that moment where you get knocked out. And again, I've seen it a bunch in UFC, seeing it in boxing and stuff like that. And you also see it in certain films. But usually, like you said, usually you get the big knockout and they're out mm. for the rest of the film or an entire scene mm. or whatever it is. Usually people are, like, dazed. Oh, they're out for a bit. And then they're straight back to it. And they'll mm. often be, like, wobbly mm. or, like, still trying to throw punches mm. and stuff like that. Punch drunk. Punch drunk, exactly. Very, very few people are knocked out. And there are certain moments where you get that knockout in the UFC and they are out. Mm. And then the doctors rush in. Yeah. And they're still out. And the person is celebrating and they're still out. And you're like, oh dear. Yeah. This is serious. This is like, like you said, this could be permanent brain damage. This could be seriously affect their health. This could end their career, all this kind of stuff. Most people work about, like, oh, I'll break a bone or whatever. But, like, when you get knocked out like that, that can be life-changing. Mm. And in, in a flash, in an instant, your life will go from seemingly perfectly normal, your, like, peak physical health, your professional sports athlete mm. or action movie star or whatever it is. And then this has happened to people doing stunts and in fight scenes and stuff like that as well. Their lives are changed in an instant because they were knocked out or injured in some way that has then completely changed it definitely and i think just two points here uh to roll us through the first is that film informs us on how we think the world is incorrectly a lot of the time and so subsequently oh yeah just hit you in the face and you get knocked out and there's a bit in um uh lock stock where it's like oh there's a got a lot of cash ton of weed and a parking a traffic warden what are you doing him Knock him out. Doof. So I'll knock you out in a minute. So just knock him out. And they're like, oh, and he's like, why isn't he knocked out? It's like, yeah, because it's a hard thing to do. So we're always yeah. like wailing on this guy. Um, but it informs us to how we think things work. But then there's the other side of things, which is weirdly ties into a lot of it will tie into sport because that's the nature of what we see most often a controlled fight. Yeah. Mm. And that is the level of skill, precision, and control. And that's where we really segue into martial arts. Mm. Because that is, it's not necessarily realistic. You can have a, a whole range of different types of, of martial arts films and, and the type of martial arts fights you can get. Uh, like to mention earlier, Wusha, all the way through, like flying through the air and sort of like... We, we talked about Jackie Chan so much in the Shanghai yes. Nights. We did an entire bonus thing on Patreon about Jackie Chan specifically. Mm. The Donnie Yen episode we did, once again, thanks to Jonathan Firth-Clark. He's seeing a theme here, listeners. <laughs> John, John likes fight scenes and Donnie Yen and martial arts and stuff. Mm. But I touched on the Ip Man fight when you have Samo versus Donnie Yen. Yeah. And that's, in theory, 
a real thing that happened, that Ip Man was a real historical figure. He did go around fighting a bunch of different martial arts masters and like proving himself and all these kind of stuff. Samo balances on the edge of a table <laughs> and Samo is a big boy. He's a big boy. I'm glad you put it politely. He's a big fat bloke. He is a man of heroic stature. He's a man of heroic stature. And he is balancing on like one toe on the edge of a chair. It's not a Wuxia movie. It's not that not all of the fights are like that. Some of them are really up close and personal. Mm -hmm. That Wing Chun stuff is super short range and close. Yeah. And he does that like of the guy's chest and knocks him out on the floor. Mm. And everybody's like, oh shit. He just threw like 15 punches in eight seconds. And mm -hmm. I've never seen anyone throw that many punches before. Yeah. And then you get the grand. They're balancing on a table either side of each other. And it's this weird like... Wuxia Kung Fu moment, mm. and that's all in the same series. But that's that's the key point there. That's this, in, in my opinion, the difference. If you get like, you know, um, John Wayne sidles up, or fucking Indiana Jones knocks out a couple of Nazis, or gets into a fist fight, or whatever, that's a different type of engagement. That's an encounter of a certain type. A, a martial arts film, as I say, is about that discipline, about that control. Even if it's like an erratic moment where people are trying to kill each other, that same intensity is there. I'm not saying it's not. But it's still the whole, can uh, to quote uh, Shutter Island, can my violence outweigh your violence? And it's not about, I'm going to brute force you. It's like, I'm going to out-chess you. It's thinking and moving and strategy and precision. We don't want to see, arguably, well, there's a bit of a, bit of a counterpoint here. We don't want to see a fast kung fu or martial arts fight. You don't want to see it over quickly. It feels like it's anticlimactic. It's not working. If you see like, it's over. It's like, ah, I felt like I was cheated. Um, but subsequently, if you feel like you've, it, it, like, it, whether it's a one-on-one -on -one fight, it's like, ah, here we go. This guy, there's emotional backstory to this. We know why they're fighting. Now I want to see them fight and I want this person to win. But not just win. I want them to prove to the other person they made a mistake. They should never do on this around this road. They'll learn something. Whatever it happens to be. Whether it's the Karate Kid or you know, I mean things that imitate martial arts films, um, like like the, you know Kill Bill that kind of stuff, um, or actual authentic what we would consider you know actual uh, martial arts films like the Shaw Brothers kind of stuff, mm. because it's all about that the, the 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 discipline is spoken about in the same weight as the emotion of why someone is going down that road in the first place. Of you need to have this. Your, your mind must be still. Your body must have control. You cannot let emotion rule you. You mm. have to do this. Yeah. And it's all about whether they're fighting one person, as I said, or a group of people, like just taking on waves and waves and waves of people. They are impressive fights because they go on just the right amount of time and mm. it's the right level of, um, you know, um, engagement and... and um, sort of captivating thrillings the whole thing mm. um that being said we still want to see people fall through glass windows <laughs> fall through paper doors and and, yeah. and through planks of wood yeah i don't want to see them like having trouble like walking after that's so, like oh no oh, i'm backing and kicking and things like that and, like, it's resilient mm. because i care more about their passion and what they physically think they're capable of doing or hope they're capable of doing rather than ah and now i've taken one thing through i'm unconscious oh fuck he's dead well that's the end of this film then yeah, the other side of the kind of like knocking people out and stuff like that and the the big group fight, one of the, we'll, we'll touch on some, obviously in the second half, spoiler alert, some of them are big group fight scenes. But one that always sticks out in my brain and something I touched on in the stunts, funny enough, is Ong Bak and what Tony Jaa was doing in the early yeah. 2000s. Mm. The famous 
scene where he just breaks everyone's bones mm. and you don't need to knock guys out if you break their legs yeah. like, <laughs> they're not going to keep fighting you if they have one arm or one leg or mm. one arm and one leg that still function mm. and That's there's a, a that bit starship troopers uh the enemy cannot detonate push a button <laughs> if you disable his hand exactly exactly and he is knocking some people out but most of the time he's like making their knees bend the wrong way and mm. it's all this like oh big crunchy horrible noises mm. And it was like such a eye-opening scene for me, having watched growing growing up on like Jackie Chan and Bruce mm. Lee and all the kind of like, oh yeah, it's impactful, but it's it's very long ago. And this felt like such a modern take on martial arts that I'd not really seen before. Obviously, it was Thai as well, so it's bringing in a lot of the like my Thai influences and what Tony Jaa was doing. All the athleticism and stuff was blowing my mind. He leaves the room, and the camera lingers, and they all go like. Oh, oh god oh gee and they were like crawling away like broken knees and dislocated mm. elbows and stuff like yeah that's that's really clever that's really cool there's a brief moment of humor in this like incredibly intense visceral fight scene and it just hangs there for an extra moment of time and they all just writhing around in pain like he hasn't killed him he hasn't knocked him out you don't need to you just need to hurt enough people and sometimes you can like just demoralize the enemy right you beat up enough of them that they go oh no way and that happens yeah. a lot in like jackie chan and the kind of like funnier martial arts yeah. things he'll beat the shit out of five out of the ten people and the other five are like i'm all right thanks i'll Stephen see you Stephen chow kung fu hustle perfect mm. example juggling yeah. someone in the air and the sort of it's like this is cartoon physics yeah and then goes oh, oh, no thanks but the truth <laughs> is that has a resonance in the same way us like got a bloodthirst as well because it's like that's how wars end it's not until everyone's dead it's until they're so distracted and taken up with like, oh, we have to take these people away and amount yeah. of time and effort it takes to do that stuff. And then it's like, should we just stop? We're done. Fine, you win. Whatever. Yeah. Let's be done. Yeah. Yeah. And again, this is this is kind of all dancing around that topic of realism where it's like we people say, oh, no, oh, the, the fights were so realistic. And it's like, no, not really. You don't want you don't want actual realism. You want verisimilitude. You want something. Ooh, what a word! What Tim. a word! Oh. Uh, you want you want something that feels real without all the baggage of what is actually involved in a real fight, and with the thrill that you imagine a fight would have, even if you've been in a fight. It's that thing of you know human memory kind of edits it, and you make it a lot cooler in your head after 100%. a while than you know even if you even if you've lost the fight, you go back and you're like yeah, but, you know, if I'd have done this and done that, then I would have come out on top. And it's like, no, you wouldn't have. There were three Tim, of them. Tim, why, why are you coming for me? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and it, it, what we really want, we want that, we want a sense of realism, but with thrills yes. and with spectacle. And we want stakes is the mm. thing. We want to feel like the fight has an impact on the story. Because if it's just... You know, there's a reason that stuff like, is it Game of Death where it's just uh, Bruce Lee going up the tower? Yep. He never actually finished it. But, you know, that's so clear in its stakes. It's like he's got to get to the top and to get to each up each floor, he has to fight someone and beat them. And the fight style's different every time. Exactly. You know, and that's so that's so clear and distilled and pure it's the reason why so many martial arts films and especially video games have that tournament structure of course it's like because that's so straightforward it's like i'm going through this and to get to the final thing and then at the end i win the prize or i rescue the person or whatever and poor fight scenes 
tend to be as a result there's a lot of reasons you can make a bad fight scene like sense of geography and clarity yep. is so important in a fight scene um kind of more so in terms of uh more generic action like chases and stuff like that is very important mm. but it but but that same thing can especially if you're having a fight that interacts with the environment a lot it's a lot simpler if you're just two people in a room punching each other that mm. that can be very straightforward if you're if you're crashing through multiple rooms or it's a chase that is also a fight scene or whatever having a sense of space is really important but also having a sense of what is each person trying to achieve with this fight are they just fighting because as we said the producers have decided now would be <laughs> a good time for a fight mm. you know have they just kind of stumbled across each other and decided to have a battle or are their fights something that we emotionally connect with and therefore we feel the impact of that when we think that someone might win or not win, mm -hmm. you know? And I think it's why, as a general rule, make a sweeping generalization here, fights that are in the middle of films tend to be more interesting than fights that are at the end of films. Because when we yeah. get to the fight at the end of the film, you more or less assume there's obviously, there are exceptions to this rule. But when you're at the end of the film, you're like, yeah, but the good guy's going to win. Probably. 95% of the time. Yeah. yeah. In the middle of the film, it's still possible that they will hit some kind of major setback and the bad guy will win. And so that those fight scenes tend to have a little bit of extra because you're like, I'm unless you're not, you know where the film is going or it's a very predictable film, that kind of thing. In a good film, you can watch that scene and be like, "Ooh, he's getting his ass kicked here. What's gonna happen? What's gonna happen if they get away?" The unknown. Exactly. Tim, that's a that's a really really good point. I like that a lot. I'm gonna close out on this first half with. The Born Supremacy Pizza Theory. Okay. I love everything about that sentence, Matthew. Please continue. So, um, verisimilitude, as Tim mentioned, absolutely important. Variety mm. is the other. Because... The spice of life. Key fucking word there. The zest of pizza. Yeah, spice and zest. Because the, the trouble with the industry, and, and we will come back to this with our picks later, sometimes... There's something in there that goes, that's really good. I want that. And you're like, no, 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 we've seen that. <laughs> um, and it's like in a culinary world of every possible food combination, because that's what cinema is. You can create anything. A fight can be anything. I mean, one could argue um, Natalie Portman trying to get to the door while the weird, creepy oil alien is trying to stop oh. her the door is a fight sequence. It ends in physical... Combat. I wonder where mm. you were going with that. Know, yeah. um, that's still a fight sequence of sorts, and it's like that's that's weird. But the point is, pizza. Pizza is fast. Pizza is easy. Everyone likes pizza. Yeah. So what we get on TV and film, sorry, sorry, film more than anything else, but TV emulates it. What we get on film is pizza, whether it's a superhero film or a spy film. Um, it's the same thing. So you get like Die Hard. Oh, I see what you did here. You got the pizza. It's like, dude, I took out the ham and I put pepperoni in. It's like, yeah, you did. It's, it's, it tastes different. I mean, 
it's it's still a pizza. And then it's like, you know, the born supremacy comes out and it's like, oh my God, that was really hard mm. for me to watch because it was so, you mm. know, it, 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 supremacy got a lot of flack because the camera was quite jolting. So what's like, what's like to feel like you're in a fight? It's hard to tell what's going on. Mm. And, you know, the location of where you are, it's a little mm. disorientating. So what did you do? I put some pineapple on that pizza. Mm. Bob barbecue base. Oh, t- Tim, you took the you took the tomato base. But you've changed the game, Tim. Like, <laughs> You're still eating pizza, motherfucker. <laughs> but then if I say to you, "What's this?" It's like, um, this is a burrito. It's like, mmm, doesn't sound like a pizza to me. It's like it's not a pizza. It's a burrito. And you bite into it and you go, "Oh, it's very different." It's like it is different. It's quite spicy. Oh, it's quite spicy. You go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's different. Do you like it? It's like. It's not for me. <laughs> That's martial arts fans trying to recommend martial arts movies <laughs> to everyone else. And you incorporate it. And what you end up with is something, and I'm going to disparage a film I fucking love, which is Shang-Chi. And it's like, this is great. I fucking love this. You've got the team come in from Jackie Chan's team and obviously Simu Liu, mm. and everyone's doing the amazing scenes. And it's, it's amazing. I really love mm. what they've done with it. And then, you know, they'll say, oh, I've seen a martial arts film now. It's like, You've had a bean burrito pizza, motherfucker. Yeah. You've 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 got no. No, 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 that's, no. That's some spicy beef has been put on your pizza. Yes, and you think you're a fucking authority now. Shut the fuck up. Um and it's really frustrating because some people and this is what gets the contradiction thing, some people just like pizza and they don't yeah. want other things. They don't want a a Eastern Promises style. Oh, his dick is out. Oh, oh shit. I'm really worried now. I'm really worried. It's like, what's that? That's a that's a Rakito pepper hot chili fucking nightmare is what that is. Um on a on a bed of pasta. And you're like, I don't, I don't know what this is. I don't know if it goes or not, but I'm experiencing everything and I don't want to. But yeah. And sometimes, and just to bring it to a different tone entirely, uh, sometimes you're watching a big blue alien fighting a mech suit for three billion dollars and it's like what's this this is a ham sandwich it's like hmm that's functional yeah it does a, it does a job it's like you got any mustard oh 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 little bit of mustard in there it's mm. like yeah that's that's the the mech suit getting a big knife out mm. <laughs> um, it's it's a ham sandwich but it's the most expensive ham sandwich <laughs> in the world yeah uh and you'll never think about that sandwich ever again in your life yeah um, but yeah so that's the idea of like there's so much out there variety-wise, especially with fight scenes. You can do so much, but we always go back to the same thing. And every time you incorporate something new, someone's like, we've changed the game. It's like, no, you haven't. Mm. And the the important thing is, is that whenever someone comes along and goes like, look here, I've, I've, I've invented the burrito. <laughs> and, and people go, ooh, we actually quite like this burrito. Then over the next five years, the burrito will be unwrapped, its parts will be broken up, and yeah, they will be put yeah. on the pizza. That, Tim, that is exactly it. You may wait, get wait, someone... Wait, is the pizza the MCU here? Pizza is everything. <laughs> Pizza's the I'm industry. Joking, I'm joking. But you also get other versions where you go like, oh my god. Oh my god, this is unlike anything I've ever fucking seen in my Stuffed life. Stuffed crust. Yeah. It's oh like, my yeah, god. It's like, you've done, oh, I've done a, a Chicago-style deep dish pizza. It's like, <sighs> you have... I mean, give it to them. It's fine. Let's just go. <laughs> let's go. So yeah, so I um I think when we get to our picks in in just a minute, we're gonna have that moment of like, is this just pizza? Nah, mate, this is a fucking couscous. <laughs> it's like <laughs> you ain't seeing this anywhere. You could put it on pizza. You could. Cus- Don't couscous on a pizza. Yeah, Blasphemy. You could have couscous on a pizza. Mm. Matt, I'm not gonna lie. I really want a pizza now. Yeah, me too. Brought to you by pizza. <laughs> <laughs> if only. Hey, pizza companies, you want to sponsor us? Please do. And if you're not on Patreon, here's a word from our sponsors. 
Today's episode is sponsored by Audible. Audible has thousands of audiobooks, podcasts, comedy specials, and so much more. And we're here to enhance this fantastic experience. Because if you head to audibletrial.com sequel, you can get a month free and an audiobook on us. Recommend, uh, let's recommend, let's recommend Fight Club ah, by Chuck mm. Palahniuk. Read out by a very annoyingly high-pitched kind of whiny dude, kind of like me. Um, and it's like, yeah, the, no, I've heard Ed Norton and Brad Pitt for so long, I feel like it's synonymously linked in. But either way, uh, that's a very fighty film. Until it's not. And then it's about the internal struggle. Anyway, uh, if you want that, or one of many, many, many other podcasts or books or whatever you choose for, you can head on to audibletrial.com slash sequel for a month free and an audiobook on us. Audible. <laughs> Stay the fuck down. <laughs> that was a pretty good Foley punch noise. <laughs> Not so good. Cow. Pow. Kabam. So I'll kick things off with the the man who many consider the godfather not not that godfather matthew a different godfather of fights in cinema the one the only the late bruce lee the guy who brought so much martial art film to the western world and exposed it to a whole new audience throughout the 70s and i want to talk about particularly the clash of east and west that is Chuck Norris versus Bruce Lee in Way of the Dragon from 1972. Because I fucking love this fight. <laughs> and again, I'm going to tie it back to like, oh, I watched it with my dad when I was a kid <laughs> because that that's how I watched I, movies when I was young. I gotta say, I'm a little bit disappointed we didn't you didn't go for the Kareem Abdul Jabbar one. Oh, uh, that, <laughs> that's good too. But this this is one of my faves of Bruce Lee. Fair. And it's the fact that it is this direct clash of styles. Chuck Norris coming from his karate background and Bruce Lee coming from Jeet Kune Do. It is, for want of a better phrase, mixed martial arts. It is martial art mm. versus martial art, practice versus practice. And you see them like they prep and they do all their stretches and stuff. I just love the, the respect that happens between the two of them in a fucking coliseum of all places. <laughs> for some reason, there's a cat there for some reason. The cat kind of like rings the bell with a meow and a screech, and it like they're a full because it's the seventies, full like zoom in on his face, dum 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 dum, mm. zoom in on his face, dum 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 dum, zoom in on the cat's face, dum 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 dum. Like, <laughs> why do you keep zooming towards the cat? It's the weirdest thing. It's a tiny little kitten just hanging out in this fight scene. We need to bring back the zoom. This is completely off topic. We do. But we do. Bring back the zoom, filmmakers. Yeah. Uh, Extreme Tarantino's closer. done it now. And everyone true. goes, oh, Tarantino Zoom. It's like, fuck off. <laughs> oh, it's Tarantino who just copies everything he likes. And then, yeah. But the fact that this is such a, a perfect display of two different fighting styles and two different approaches to fighting. Chuck Norris is seemingly this like towering, hairy, like just mountain of America. Just America personified. And then... Tiny little Bruce Lee, who is shredded, just just every sinew and muscle, and just they all have all these like fake bone cracking noises as they stretch, and so it's fucking stupid, but so ridiculous to see these two just prepping and stuff like that. 
And the way it goes through different styles and different fights, it reminded me, and I know this is direct influence because Dave Filoni talked about it, to tie into Star Wars, the final confrontation between Kenobi and Darth Maul, where they constantly change styles and never actually fight each other, and then the fight is over in a flash. There's one of a lightsaber and it's all done. Because they go through like, oh, I'm measuring you up. And they're like, oh, you're doing, you know, defensive style six. I'll do offensive style four. And they keep swapping and keep swapping. And it's all that game of chess we talked about in the first half, right? That you're playing mind games as much as you're playing the physical game. To the point where Bruce Lee just fucking rips out his chest hair at one point <laughs> and does the little like, and just blows it out of his hand. It's like, that's so gross, but like kind of great because Bruce Lee is just hairless and chiseled and Chuck Norris is this big, hairy, brick shit house of a bloke. And as a fellow smooth boy. <laughs> <laughs> Not to compare myself to Bruce Lee, but as oh, no, a, no, no. As a fellow smooth boy. Ripped man. I said smooth boy. That's true. Um, yeah, it, it's the grappling with hair on the chest. Like, <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, ah. Ugh, yeah, get this off. Yeah, disgusting. how often do you see that in fights? Again, it's coming back to that. Like, he's such a weird, uncomfortable but kind of funny moment that is also like, yeah, I guess you would use that as like a, a horrible thing to do to a person you're fighting. And it's such a martial arts fight. It's such a you see Bruce Lee. He's dancing about and shifting his footwork and stuff. And you literally the camera follows the eye line of each fighter as they analyze the other one's movements you see him like okay he's moving his feet okay you you want to dance bruce i can dance too i'm mm. a, I'm a big guy but i can dance as well i'm not quite as fast but when i hit you i'm gonna really hit you you notice when chuck norris hits bruce lee bruce lee hits straight on his ass in one punch whereas bruce lee will do kick 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 quick 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 quick, quick and then finally knock him down after like six or seven hits mm. and it's this perfect like power versus speed precision versus timing like it's a brilliant brilliant balance between the two of them and the way it just keeps building and building and escalating and the styles change and that was the whole thing bruce lee always taught was like don't just learn one martial art jeet Kune Do was all his his style that he developed was learning different styles and adapting different things and he's got elements of grappling and kicking and punching from all these different mm. versions of martial arts all these different types of martial arts so he is it's the, the be like water quote, right? You have to always be adapting to your surroundings. So you can fight a big guy. You can fight a small guy. If he's faster than you, you do this. If he's bigger than you, do this. And that fight just perfectly personifies that for me in, in terms of Bruce Lee's like filmography. Mm. And it, that's such a great, and we see it in other films, in, in, a, in fight scenes in a variety of other places. And it's that way of expressing oh, these are two people at the top of their skill. Yes. Uh, at the top of their craft, where you've got that, uh, you know, like in The Princess Bride, where they're <laughs> discussing the different yeah. sword fighting Absolutely. styles. But it's it's that way of saying, oh, no, this person is so good that they're, it's not just about they're thinking about what am I going to do in the fight? They're anticipating the other person. It, it turns the fight into a chess match. Yep, yes. While also being this incredible physical contest and and showcasing the different speed and power that these people have. Yeah, and I love the way it escalates to Bruce Lee just starts winning. He's adapting, he's faster, he's able to adapt faster as well, which is mm. a huge key part of it. 
Chuck is trying to keep up and he starts to adapt and follow his lead, but he's always following Bruce's lead. He's never one step ahead. After the first couple of blows, Bruce Lee is, again, keeping on the chess analogy, he's two or three moves ahead of him already and already shifting and changing his style and changing his movement and then changing his footwork and all this kind of stuff. And he breaks his, he like dis disables his arm, does like a nerve strike or whatever mm -hmm. the fuck, dislocates his knee and does a like, stay down, we don't have to do this. But Chuck Norris just keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming and can't stay down. And again, it, like we are talking about, like it culminates in him killing him. He breaks, he gets him in like a headlock and breaks his neck. But it's a real, I remember that being such a powerful moment for me, realizing again, like not every fight has to end in a knockout. There's such like mutual respect between the two of them. But then you realize like, oh, he's just going to keep coming. There is mm -hmm. no, there is no way out of this. He has to finish him off. Superman and Zod, right? Just like, just <laughs> like as powerful as Man of Steel. And then you go... He can see he can see Chuck Norris's kicking legs getting closer and closer to that family and he's <laughs> that like that was going to get kicked at yeah. one point. <laughs> hey, don't kick a cat. That's a step too far. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. Uh but yeah, that final moment where like Bruce Lee then goes and puts his karate gi over the top of him and yes. like yeah. like lays him to rest essentially Respect. respectfully picks up his shirt, puts his shirt back on, does his clothes back up and it's this perfect like snapshot of respect between fighters that then culminates in i have no other choice i have to take this guy out and mm. i feel like that it, it gives it such weight and such power that i don't see in so many fights and the fact this was 50 fucking years ago that just clicked in my brain and that was 50 years ago <laughs> yeah and so many things you see like bam 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 and you see him like i said take out a bunch of different dudes and there's no real consequence this fight feels like it has weight it has consequence it weighs heavy on bruce lee's character there's a whole like you know emotional arc to it as well which i really really love so it is available on youtube unsurprisingly in fact we should probably make a youtube playlist of these scenes that's not a bad smart idea smart move yeah uh check the show notes we'll have a little youtube playlist of all these clips in the right order so yeah it's like quite long as well. it's like six seven eight minutes long i think of them squaring up going for all the way from the stretches and the respect to the final blow and stuff like that it is for me, is a masterpiece of choreography and martial arts and stuff like that, and something that really opened my eyes to the possibilities when I was young as well. Matt, how about you for your first pick? Um, I'm going to go on that scale I mentioned earlier about the idea of one being the most realistic thing and ten being the most fancy over-the-top cartoon nonsense. I'm going to go in with about a seven or an eight, where it's both realistic and not. I'm going to talk about The Matrix. Oh, specific and there are so many fights in the matrix films across all of them that are interesting or have something of note in them uh but the one i want to talk about is the culmination all the lessons learned all the bits and pieces all the um emotional uh suspense building narrative satisfaction that is neo versus smith hell yeah now the re because we've been told Neo is and isn't the one. Mm. We've been told if you see an agent, you run. Yep. Everyone who fights an agent dies. Absolutely. You've been told, which remains true. It, oh. 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 True. Um, and it's like, is that why isn't he gunning? What is it? He's starting to believe. And it's like, 
and you and, and this is the point I'm talking about the, the nature of fantasy fighting and also the idea of oh shit oh okay and it, it to tie back to what mm. we were talking about earlier it's the perfect expression of the emotional journey that Neo is going on 100% 100% and, and that's the thing rather than being like I don't want to see this. I don't want to see him being beaten to a pulp. I don't want to see like Morpheus getting tortured. I don't want to see like in the chair getting pummeled, whatever it is. What you want to see is him go. It's, it's, it's the Rocky thing. I want to see him go toe to toe. I want to see him go the distance. Mm-hmm. And it starts with leaping off a wall, trying to shoot each other, holding each other's hands, spinning around in slow motion, slamming the floor and like, empty so are you and it's like oh oh and i got time to talk and then hand away what do we do now right we're gonna fight each other and it's that back and forth that perfect every punch you have i have an answer for it mm-hmm. and even when it's like well my hands are tied now shit and this brings us into another little thing very quickly as a tangent the bbfc we talked about censorship <laughs> in, the, in the past about how for a time in britain anything you could use as a practical weapon like nunchucks and all those sort of things, oh, yeah. was the most dangerous thing. And headbutts, they hated. Mm-hmm. So they were cut. And then, of course, when the Matrix was re-released, doosh, back in again. It's like, oh, yeah. He didn't just have him by the arms trapped and then released him for no reason. Yeah. Yeah. And then after that, it's like, okay, well, we still got the, you know, the fighting. Then it's like, he's going faster and faster. And, and, and the, the, the precision of which uh, Smith is acting is he punching through walls. He's, clobbering Neo, throwing him literally into a wall, upside down, the concrete's going back. You can tell it's hyper-nonsense, but you've established the world as hyper-nonsense. So it's okay that this happens. Mm. And it culminates in the most satisfying and unsatisfying end, where it's him on the train tracks, douche, trying everything, and he can't get loose, and he's, it's, it's the grappling, the train's coming, the end, Mr. Anderson. Mm-hmm. Um, the sound of inevitability. And he's like, it's not that he punches him. It's not that it's, it's a, a haymaker that ends the fight. That's not what's satisfying. Mm. It's him saying, my name is Neo. Neo. Mm-hmm. And yeah. launching him up, hitting the roof, and then doing this amazing backflip backwards. And it's that, we mentioned that, that fucking Sammo Hung stuff. It's him teetering on the edge. Yeah. The trains. And even though at that point, Smith is wiped out, he's like, oh, okay. Five seconds to recover, train screeches to a halt, another Smith comes out. Yep. And that's the idea of a fight. That to me is like, you can put everything in there, everything that is your all into a fight, and there'll always be some other fucker to hit you in the <laughs> face. And you will always have repercussions because, like with vengeance and fighting, there's always more things. Why did you do that? Oh, that's my friend. That's my father. That's my son. That's my what the fuck ever. You know, you hit my kid, whatever. Um, and I shot a kid. <laughs> I shot a kid. Um, and it never ends. Back to Die Hard again for a second. Someone has to tell Carl his brother is dead. Mm. It's like, yeah, that's why he stops listening to Gruber. That's why he ends up like the, the, the fight between It's the emotionality that, that. And yet it's fucking physically cool. Yeah, the stunt work is great. Yeah, mm. the action between the choreography, between the stunt team, the, um, the wire work team, the actors themselves. The, the production design working on visual effects, the, v, uh, the, the, the CGI in general, it's all coming together mm. after we've seen so much with all the training, it's built to this moment and it ends not on a fuck you, I hit you down, it's I rose up. And mm. I fucking love that shit. And it, 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 pa- it pairs so perfectly 
with what then happens when Neo fully becomes the one. Absolutely. Because you've seen this intense struggle and Neo barely winning. Mm-hmm. Not even really winning, just delaying the inevitable. Going the distance. Going the distance. And then you compare that to when he resurrects and it's effortless and then it stops yeah. even being a fight and it becomes something different when he dives into the body and then, you know, comes, mm-hmm. it does that thing, you know, it, and because he's no longer constrained by the rules at that point. Absolutely. I'm and you that. couldn't, you couldn't have, it's why Reloaded and etc. struggle mm. a little bit because once you've established Neo is now the one. Once he's in God mode. Well, exactly. You know, it's very hard to challenge that character. And you have to roll back some of what you've said in the first film to be able to still have mm. some kind of conflict and stakes and, and fights. Yeah. Um, Imagine if we went from Trinity, help, on the rooftop with him just about dodging the bullets, mm. just about, and then he rescues Morpheus and stuff. And then he cuts, doesn't have this fight, he cuts straight to the he is the one effortlessly mm. moving things around. Mm. There'd be something missing. Yeah. You'd feel like that chapter of that earned significance. Mm. And that's what we see too much now is like, shit, then pretty good, that mid fight you talked about, for example. And then so good that everything around me is not worth worrying about. It's the whole, mm. oh, it took so long to kill this one bad guy. Now there's 20 of them and you're like wiping them out with one hit wonders. and like, how the fuck is this happening? Mm. But yeah, so for me, that's a, that's a fantastic uh, example. I had to talk about something in that franchise in general. Uh, I know it's obviously influenced by so much other stuff, but as a part of filmmaking, mm. it's great. Tim, what, what do you bring into the table that isn't pizza? Um, it's not pizza, but it's still Keanu Reeves. Oh, hello. Um, I'm when I spoke earlier about kind of action scenes that are and fight scenes that are rooted in uh, emotional depth and stuff like that. I'm kind of going in increasing order in mine. I'm starting out with the most arbitrary <laughs> and heading towards the most emotional. Sure. Um, and this is incredibly arbitrary. It's a fight scene that they they put in purely because they were like, "Hey, you know what's a cool idea?" and God love them because it's the coolest idea. <laughs> hey, John Wick should have a fight in a knife museum. Yeah. Fuck, fuck yes, Tim. Yes, he should. And it's um, glorious. I, I, as people probably remember or have heard previously, I, I, I adore the John Wick franchise. I think it's so, it's such a good antidote. As much as we've talked about whether realism is realism and all that, all that kind of stuff. Just the 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 fact that it's people who've come from the stunt coordination, stunt acting world. Speaking Chad, of the Matrix, yeah, Chad Stileski, <laughs> Stileski was Keanu Reeves' stunt double on the Matrix, yep. and then he is elevated to becoming a stunt coordinator and is now a director and is directing the John Wick films and various other things. And obviously, is so rooted in that world and knows exactly what you can get away with and how to do these action scenes and these fight scenes in ways that are kinetic and that sell the just the impact of hits so well. And they are really in a position now where they can just keep trying to one-up themselves. <laughs> and as much as these films do have an emotional heart, I think the first one probably has the most emotional arc to it. Um, and even that, kind of struggles a little bit once John's got his kind of initial revenge. In a way, they are pure spectacle. 
and they are purely like, hey, how can we have John Wick kill someone with a horse? <laughs> what if what if what if they I was were asking the big questions? Yeah. What if they were having sword fights while on motorcycles? Mm. And sometimes that is what you want. Sometimes you want to go into a film and it the, the Mission Impossible films are much the same way where they come up with the big stunts and then they go, okay, we're doing this action scene and this action scene and this action scene. Now we need to write a film where all of those make sense. <laughs> um and I and I'd imagine that the process for John Wick is much the same, where they're just like, how, who can we get involved in this fight? Oh, we've got Mark Dacascos. Oh, we've got the guys who were in the raid. Okay, well, we're going to have this fun fight scene then. And uh, okay, right. No, okay, no, okay. Where, where, where did we leave the last one? Okay, he was being pursued by everyone. Okay, well, that's fun. We'll just make these guys assassins and this guy. He can be an assassin and, you know, they've set up a universe where it makes mm. sense that you have all these amazing fighters doing these incredible things. In that universe, literally everyone's an assassin. Pretty now. much everyone right. is Pretty, an assassin. Every every home, every busker, <laughs> yeah. every newspaper yeah. salesman guy, they're it all just fucking... It just yeah. seems like every single person in New York is a <laughs> sideline as an assassin. Um, it feels like, to take the cuisine analogy for a second, or the culinary analogy, the, the, the born supremacy pizza, mm. to my mind... The John Wick movies are French cuisine, mm-hmm. and John Wick himself is butter. <laughs> and so it's like, right, we have this these five sticks of butter. What can we pair them with? Yeah. Should we put a load of chicken with it? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Has to have a load of butter in it, though. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do? Well, let's fold some pastry around what? Well, some butter, obviously. <laughs> um, and it's like, you know, we've got these things to include, and it mm-hmm. always makes it gorgeous. Like, why is it so good? It's mm-hmm. like, because it's full of butter. Yeah. <laughs> it's so full of butter. Because you have Keanu Reeves at the centre of it, who is so dedicated to these things. Such an experienced actor at working with stunt teams, really knows his stuff. And, you know, the, this this is kind of basically the first fight scene in, in John Wick 3. And it is there to establish, hey, everyone in the world is now after John Wick and he's going to be constantly pursued by these people who are just out for this bounty he's in a room of elites that's it's yeah like, it's not just like they might find him on the street they're all in this building it's like, yes that piss. and so it constructs this this fantastic sequence of fight scenes where and it's it's the kind of, it has those things that in the in any other film and I, I love when a film can do this or any media really is where it has ideas that for any other film well, for most films, they'd be like, that's the coolest idea in our film. <laughs> and this film, yeah, yeah. they just, they're like, yeah. There's like, use... ten, there's like 10 of those there's, in one movie. Exactly. <laughs> like there's the whole bit where he's like, oh, this is a weird antique gun shop. And I'm going to pull apart all these different guns and put together a Franken gun, a Franken gun that's <laughs> functional out of all these old parts that aren't re- don't really work anymore. And, Which again, and, it feels like a cool bit from the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. Like, yeah but here, it just feels like another cool and fucking it, and thing. It, and it's like in any other film, that's then oh, that's his signature gun from now on. He's going to use that for all. It's like no, he uses it once and then it gets thrown away, and he gets a proper gun. And it's like, oh wow, okay, I wasn't expe- I was expecting <laughs> yeah. that to become you know that's John Wick's gun now. Anyway, um the real piece de resistance and it's such a beautiful moment because it's it, it, it trusts the audience where you're having this hand-to-hand fight between two com- john wick and some combatants and you as the audience start to twig 
are those cabinets full of knives? Yes. <laughs> they are. And the the characters then look at each other, look over their shoulder, look over each other's shoulders. Oh shit. Oh <laughs> shit. There's loads of knives around us. Oh my god. And and then you get the amazing knife throwing sequence and we oh, uh, talk about the saving private Ryan kill earlier. Yeah. The slow sinking of the knife into the not quite but into the eye but also outside the eye. It's awful oh. and horrible and it's <laughs> Matt so, and I physically yeah. reacted yep. <laughs> just Tim describing it makes your skin crawl and yep. there's the other one where he's like puts the knife in the top of the guy's head and like hammers it down oh, through his skull fucking hell yeah Jesus. it's so brutal it's so beautiful and it's <laughs> just that's amazing so Keanu Reeves. <laughs> that's so Keanu that's so Keanu um, and I, I love it I could watch it on loop all day same absolutely Jack, we're back round to you. You teased something there. Some of the actors in that in some of those fights, Tim. You're talking about Crying Freeman. Yes. Mark Dacascos' yeah, finest yeah, work. Yeah, absolutely. Now I'm gonna talk about The Raid, which is one of my favourite films ever. Because I fucking love The Raid. And it's just just a fucking tour de force. In the same way that John Wick is. Mm. Basically every fight in the raid is the coolest fight in any other <laughs> fucking movie. And specifically, I want to focus on the character of Mad Dog. And there are two fights, but one I want to focus on in particular. I'll start with the setup fight, and then I'll go on to my proper pick. Yes, I'm doing a mat, and I have an honourable mention here. Oh, hello. <laughs> I don't this time around. New <laughs> Year's um, resolution, isn't it? Yeah. One of the guys, uh, Jacka, is fighting this henchman guy, essentially. He's not even the big bad guy. He's not the mob boss. He's just a right-hand man mm. who's a fucking nutter. And he's the character I alluded to earlier where they start squaring off and he throws away the weapons. And he's like, it's just not the same. It needs to be done with my hand. And you're like, what? What are you talking about? And like, oh, he likes to murder dudes with his bare hands. And yes, his character name is Mad Dog. Mm. And he's a five-foot-nothing Indonesian bloke with a weird little mullet and a scraggly little beard, and he's fucking terrifying. And it really kind of harkens back and um, makes me think of like, oh, you get this big end-level boss type thing, and you get these big like hulking physical dudes. Coming back to like Chuck Norris from the fight I was talking about earlier, you get this big imposing character. He might be the smallest guy in the entire film. <laughs> and it's full of Indonesian blokes who are not particularly physically, you know, large mm. and stuff like that. They're all pretty slim. They're all fairly short. They're all like normal sized. There's no big powerlifting type dudes mm. in this in this scene. Lean fuckers. Yeah, lean. Lean as hell. And he is tiny and terrifying. And that fight he has with Jacka is just setting him up as a terrifying motherfucker. And he just beats the shit out of him. <laughs> He knees him, he elbows him, he throws him through like the tables and shit around the room, smashes his head on the wall, smashes his head on the floor. He's barely conscious and he does he pauses for a moment and like caresses his hair and does the top of his head. He the Jacker, the good guy, the, the police officer, is like on the floor, being literally being propped up, and he's like knelt behind him just having beat the shit he delivers this like final punch to the side of his head that basically leaves him like completely dazed and fucked up and then he takes a moment savors the moment you're like oh this is weird and creepy and breaks his fucking neck you're like how do we get this guy and it takes like the deuteragonists 
teaming up later on. So Rama and Andy have to fight together to even barely stand a chance to fight Mad Dog later on at the end of the film. Yeah, I can remember seeing that and it's a fight where the good guys outnumber the bad guys. Yes. It's a two-on-one fight and yet it... They still you, feel outmatched. They right? still yeah. feel outmatched. Uh, I, I always think that guy, the, the actor who plays him, uh, Yayan Ruyan, yep. um, he, he reminds me, he's like, uh, we just did a, a crossover with uh, Dice and a Slice. We did. Uh, where we did a, a diehard homage, and I, mm-hmm. my character was based on uh, Uli, played by Al Leong, <laughs> who's a famous stuntman. He played Genghis Khan in Bill and Ted's yeah. uh, Excellent Adventure, for example. He he looks like Al Leong's like meth head cousin, <laughs> <laughs> but he's very much so. He's tiny, and like you say, he do, he's not an intimidating figure physically until you kind of look at his muscles and go, "Oh, that guy's like." wiry in yeah. weird ways yeah. and then and then just his intensity in that film is terrifying yeah he barely talks and like i said when he does he says stuff like i need to kill you with my bare hands but in a real weird like sensual way and it's like <laughs> and you're totally right tim the, the fight i really want to focus on is that two-on-one fight and the fact that it takes two good guys to even scrape by and try and take out <laughs> mad dog and um you and your hand shows up later on in in the raid sequel um again the raid guys so eco weiss and Johan are like the two main guys that do a lot of the choreography and do a lot of the stunt coordinating and stuff like that they're on set they're a very mm. active part of the films that they are mm. a part of and all that kind of stuff they they were also kanji club they're also fucking kanji <laughs> club yes in that bullshit scene with the Rathtars in Star Wars Force yeah. Awakens. Talking about action scenes that have no purpose. Ugh, that is the, the worst scene in that entire movie. Not even close to the worst scene in that trilogy though, but we will not talk about it. We've covered that extensively already. But this fight where he is just beating the shit out of one of the, ba- one of the good guys. He'll be beating the shit out of Andy and then Rama will fly across the room, tackle him into a concrete wall, smash him in, and then he'll just turn around and start beating the shit out of him as well. It's like, oh my God, this guy is, again, like, like you said to me, so intense. He feels so unstoppable and relentless. Just the, just the, the, the sheer like willpower of him fighting until his absolute last breath. And the, the reason I kind of want to bring it up, because it, it's not really a one-on-one fight and it's not really a group fight. It's this weird two-on-one thing that i feel that you don't see that often mm. where and you you put it perfectly there tim like they, they outnumber him but they still fell out match and it takes two people to even take this guy out and that's how scary and intimidating he is and it's just an absolute masterclass in using the environment around you like we talked about the in the first half like how dangerous just hitting your head on concrete and yeah. the the floor and the walls around you and stuff like that happens all the fucking time in the raid people just smashing dudes heads into walls and they don't get up and you're like oh that guy died probably yep that's great (laughs) and yeah that fight scene is just a fucking masterpiece the the brilliant fight scene they have in the second one i think it's the second one with Mm. the with the little curved knives in the kitchen oh fucking hell that's terrifying Mm. astonishing stuff terrifying amazing stuff and again it's Uwais and Johan like battling it out and and that's a very like one-on-one fight but and a totally different vibe but I particularly wanted to highlight that one because it's two on one. 
and it's not the bad guys. There's not two bad guys versus this one unstoppable good guy who's like, yeah, yeah. I'm this super muscly, like superhero type character. Like, nope. It's just two cops fighting a fucking psychopath. <laughs> and it's brilliant and amazing. And it still holds up as like some of the best martial arts action I've ever seen. And it's what? Over a decade old now at this point. Yeah, 2011. Weird, yeah. So yeah, I absolutely adore the raid. Uh, I think the raid two is really good as well. But the first raid, I think I watched that and Judge Dredd like, and Dredd back to back. like, And they're essentially the same film. Yeah, yeah. Fun level, yeah some cops working their way up through a and game of death and game of death <laughs> and yeah they quickly became two of my favorite films ever and that that fight and the establishing battle that sets up mad dog as this well he said the final level boss is just masterful and i absolutely adore it matthew how about you so taking me away from the um an eight out of ten fantasy fight which is a one-on-one thing i'm going to go to a Two out of ten, one v many. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and we're from 1999 to 2003 for Old Boy. Fuck yes, Matthew. A fight sequence which again did something different, and then everyone said, "I like me some of that," <laughs> and put it in everything. Yeah, it it feels like it could very much have been an influence on the raid and yeah, so so many other scenes where. I mentioned the 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 Tony Jar thing from Ong mm. Back Rack, one guy taking out a bunch of people. But there is nothing like this fight in Old Boy. So Old Boy, um, for a bit of context, uh, for those who don't know, and if you don't know, watch the film. Mm. 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 We've we talked about it a couple of times yeah, on the yeah. show. Um it's come up with a few different things. It's different categories. A haunting experience, a yeah, traumatizing true. experience. I think it's a fucking masterpiece. It's one of my favorite films I ever. Agree. But Go in with, with a bit of. I've watched it. Yeah, I know I'm not a person who rewatches films, but it's one of those like, do I ever need to rewatch Old Boy? <laughs> oh. So, Odesu is the main character, and in 1988, for seemingly no reason, is kidnapped and put in a room, and not told why, for 15 years, and then released, and that mystery is fascinating. And obviously, that's where you're like, oh my god, that's compelling as a story. But the emotion behind it, back to that, that the thing we mentioned about Keanu Reeves in, uh, in The Matrix, the building, the, the culmination of this stuff. Now, what's interesting, we mentioned earlier about the nature of a fight sequence, about the midway point and so on and so forth. The end of Old Boy, not to spoil it, there's no real fight. It's not no. real. It's a whole, oh God, what have I done? Oh God, what did I do? Oh God, I'm sorry, please take it back. All kinds of things. It's a conversation. And that's how films sometimes need to end in a brutal realization of the pointlessness of vengeance and all those things but in old boy at this stage in the in the narrative uh the main character is lashing out he is frustrated and furious and you know an animal encaged for so long and is he still human is he still a thing and at one point he's in a building we've seen some sort of uh, uh, <laughs> a sequence with uh with him walking in with nothing but a hammer off and then we get a single take sequence i.e the camera like ready background action and rolling action and it doesn't stop until it stops and 
it's in a corridor, which eliminates the idea of the numbers. Because even though, you know, these multiple people are battered and bruised, they can't get the advantage because they're bottlenecked. It's, it's the idea of the 300 Spartans thing. Yeah, yeah. The amount of people can't see them on. And there's also the question, which is the psychological question that goes throughout this film quite a lot, is can a man who has trained himself in solitude actually put those skills to use? Mm. And there's an earlier fight sequence where it's like, yeah, it can. And then there's like, as a man who's, you know, been sexually frustrated for years, can he make a movement? No, no, he can't. No, he's just a fucking idiot. What a what a piece of shit. What a what a depraved, useless person you are. Um, and it's not until later that he has, you know, an emotional connection with someone. Mm. And then much later when that connection is worse. <laughs> oh um, God. But in no this spoilers. in this moment, the camera just rolls back and forth, and it's a specially built set to do it. So it's obviously it's like a um a square bracket, shall we say, where there's like an entire wall missing and they're going back and forth and it just keeps going. And it's just this one man, a ball of fury and anger and vengeance and betrayal and just a sense of injustice and the chance for him to truly lash out unhindered. Um, not only in a sense of, um, um, you know, I'm trying to survive. I'm trying to get answers, but just a cathartic. Oh, fuck you. Mm. Fuck everything. It's it's the it's the embodiment of the physicality of the 25th hour speech that Ed mm. Norton gives of like, fuck you, fuck this whole city and everyone in it. Um, and yet these people who are guns for hire are trying to, you know, take advantage and, and get into the fight as well and batter him back. And most of the time it kind of goes up and down and peaks and troughs. But to come back to that too fast, too furious style level of the most mm. realistic looking scrap on the floor sort of thing. They run out of steam so mm. many times. Yeah. They get tired. Yep. He gets taken advantage of. And then he's like, ah, ah just lashing out and yeah. just flailing. Yeah. And that's the, the, you know, the danger of a cornered trapped animal. Yeah. Um, and then it, it, in amongst all the darkness of this film and all the things you're seeing, there's moments of like, um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's an emotional culmination of you kind of obviously want him to succeed because you want, you haven't solved the mystery yet. But after a while, you're like, oh, just fucking Jesus, just end it. And yeah. that's why it ends perfectly with this ding and a lift opening. You see yeah. all this up the background. It's like, yeah. And he's got that same face of like, I am gone. Mm. No matter what happens yeah. at the end of this movie, I am not the man I was 15 years ago. I don't know what I am now. This is my life. This is who I am, apparently. It's almost like the, the veteran thousand yard stare. And it's uh, brilliantly acted, brilliantly directed, brilliantly choreographed, because obviously these things would have been yeah. done like four or five times in a take, whatever, just, yeah, brilliant yeah, stuff. The single take, I think, is what makes it so special and makes it mm. feel modern and unique and interesting, even though, again, it, it's 20 years old, but you know what I mean. And the fact that I, I noticed that as well, the, the thing that really caught my eye is people getting knackered because fighting and doing physical stuff as regardless of like all the adrenaline and shit that's going to be flowing through your veins just throwing punches throwing kicks scrapping about is exhausting there's a reason there are rounds in boxing and ufc and stuff like that because mm. they need time to recover mm. in between there's a there's an again an adage uh about young men when it comes to fucking and fighting <laughs> quick to start quick to finish indeed um because you think oh yeah 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 you really you know the bloodlust is in you you want to get into this fight it's like you're gonna wear yourself out son yep and you're like, <gasps> it's like yeah here's where we are and guess what i've paced myself <laughs> 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 and yeah the, the fact that there is so much 
going on in that scene. He gets fucking stabbed in the back. Yeah. And he's yeah. just fighting with a knife hanging out of his back. It, and yeah, it's a knife. It was like a screwdriver as well at some point. Screwdriver yeah. stabbed oh, in the shoulder, yeah. The the opening line of like he goes to the corridor, he's got the guy hostage, like, who's got my blood type? And they're like, raise your hands. And like, okay, and like, okay, good. And throws the hostage <laughs> to them like, what the fuck? <laughs> oh my yeah. god, that's such a terrifying line. It's the fact that they is. nervously like put their hands up, like, mm. why would he ask that? Mm. And then the two like kind of full of afraid like leader guys like put your fucking hands down what you doing don't we don't answer to him kick his ass and they all run out oh it's amazing stuff um some of you may know a famous reference to it which is from the first season of the daredevil show Mm. there is the one shot corridor hallway fight Mm. thing fights yeah that is a direct reference to the old boy fight Mm. where Matt Murdock is like kicking people through doors into different rooms and then they come back, crawl out of that door like 30 seconds later and then continue fighting. And he is just covered in blood and nagged and just bang, throw one last punch and then throw, throw one last mm. kick. And then another guy, oh, and he's grappling. Oh, and this mm. guy's grappling. I'm too tired. I still got to fight this guy. That's, that's a really like- tired forward flip at one point. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I love the fact that, you know, Something like that that really caught my attention and felt so different to me. And again, having watched martial arts film my entire life and seeing this kind of fight all the time, felt different, felt unique, felt modern. And the fact that it's kind of reverberated through and been so influential, I think, has really proved why it's so good and why it stood the test of time. And seeing something like everybody watched that Daredevil scene was like, this is the best fucking thing. Mm -hmm. Oh my, Marvel just done it again. Oh my God, this is the best <laughs> fucking thing. The best action scene you've ever seen in a Marvel thing. Because like, it's all, it's referencing old boy. That's <laughs> why it's so good. You put Mandu <laughs> on a fucking pizza, you bastards. <laughs> exactly. You, there's even like um, the video game Sifu, which is a, a full yeah, on, yeah. it's just one big fight scene. Basically, you walk into a room, you fight a bunch of dudes, you run around a bit, you walk into another room, you fight a bunch of dudes. It's incredible mm. combat. Like, a, it, it's the raid or old boy or this kind of stuff like come to life essentially um, and there's a direct reference to that in the tutorial level where the camera pans round and suddenly you're in a corridor and you're like oh you motherfuckers mm. you knew exactly what you were doing and this is exactly what everybody who is playing this game wants to do and suddenly you're doing the corridor fight it's like fuck yes because in a way it's an incredibly video game perspective absolutely yeah. it's a yeah. side scroller yeah um, which I would love to see films explore more mm. because I think there's some really interesting things you can do with that space and, yeah, and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah, no, amazing work. Yeah, and again, it's one of those things that's that is influential. It sticks with you, and it's it's the breathing that's what catches you out. It's not the 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 ah god that's nasty. It's like, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> like fucking, oh, this is still going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to put, put it into perspective, like mm. the Bruce Lee Chuck Norris is like ten minutes long. This is like three minutes long. Yeah, it feels it though. But you feel every fucking second of mm-hmm. it. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of still going, Tim. Tim's still going. Where are you taking to us next? Something very different, oh. but something also about 20 years old oh. that has never been topped, really. Oh. Hello. Look, give it a second. Let the audience have that little percolation of like, oh, what could it be? <laughs> See if they get it right. Yep. Yeah. I'm going to talk about the train fight between. Spider-Man and Doctor Octopus. Hell yeah. Very interesting. 
Um, obviously, for most of the fights, apart from the Matrix, we've been pretty grounded human combatants. This is obviously completely buck wild. We are dealing with super heroics, superhumans, Spider Man, who is super strong, super agile. Doc Ock, who in theory is just a guy, but also has the four tentacles attached to him that are super strong and super agile and flexible in ways that humans cannot be. Speak for yourself, Tim. And uh, it's it's just so cool. It just <laughs> is. Okay, cool. Next one. It's, that, it's... That's what you want from a, a yeah. comic book fight as well. Yes, absolutely. Exactly. To it's... see all the stuff and go, that's something I would never have expected to see. Yeah. It's something that can only exist in this genre and it's cool. Yeah. And it 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 manages to feel there are moments in that fight that feel like comic book panels brought to life in a way that stuff from the MCU occasionally does but but doesn't really reach the heights of um where you have to understand the physicality of these characters but also the comic books will always go for each panel will tend to especially when it's action go for the most extreme expression of it and the most iconic and you want these very recognizable shapes to the physicality of these characters and there are moments when like spider-man is on top of the train and they've got him in this very low crouch with the arms stretched out behind him and it does it, it looks like something that could be from the comic book um when he leaps into the train he's he's not just kind of like jumping into it he's clutching to one of the the metal poles in it in this very distinctive spider-man pose um and it's just such a creative we've already seen them it, it's an interesting point in the film because we have we've seen the initial fight where it is doc ock robbing the bank and they have their first fight and it's kind of a, a confusion of like what's going on sort of thing it's and quite a vertical fight Th yes mm, yeah um and then we have this fight which is a little bit further on and a horizontal fight <laughs> and uh, yeah which is both vertical it starts off vertical yes that's true, sorry, and then yes. it moves to horizontal because it starts off on the side of a building yes. and you have that amazing yes. shot where it's spider-man swinging through the city and then it pulls out and it's the reflection in doc ock's sunglasses yes. which is such a great um you know visual trick to just kind of show the connection between the two characters mm. and the anticipation of this fight and but you're also at a point where peter is feeling very conflicted about what how he wants to approach doc ock someone who's been established as a mentor earlier in the film and doc ock doesn't yet know that peter parker is spider-man and obviously that very much changes the nature in that when we get to their final fight, they, 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 there is then that realisation. Um, but it's just such a brilliant, unique approach. Like we said, it's both vertical and horizontal. You know, it is moving through space. And that's what we want to see with these characters, especially a character like Spider-Man. The thing mm. that is interesting about him is the way that he moves through the city. And it's something that I think the first film slightly failed with, with the, with the, with the final fight with uh, Green Goblin, is you're just kind of in this weird building, building thing, that's like warehouse. this brick thing, yeah. and they're just kind of like punching each other. And it's it's fine. It is what it is. 
but really we want to see Spider-Man moving through the city in interesting ways. And, you know, the fact that he's got to fight on top of the train and then like leaping through the bridge where he has to kind of like slim his body down and fit through the gap, catching up with the train, the bit where he's like webbing onto the train, but also onto other parts of the building to like bring himself back up and then catch people. The entire fight is in motion. And that is where that character excels. And I just want to just jump in here very quickly because we're going to get people saying, oh, hang on a minute, you said earlier. Because that's what happens. Yeah. Because I talked about that Winter Soldier fight. Oh, yes. sorry, sorry, the, sorry, the, the Civil War fight. It's like, ah, that's not a fight. That's a chase sequence. This is not a chase. This is a fight in motion, as Tim just yeah. said. And it's the fact that the train is moving. They're still fighting on the train. And the fact that your your adversary is being pulled away from you. It's not that one of them is running away or getting, well, obviously they're yeah. trying to escape each other, but it's the, um, the there's still the, there's the fight then stops, as it were, for lack of a better word, and the camera stays in the place so they can fight. Yeah. It's not, get away from me, or get away from me. It's, it's like, <laughs> no, 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 we're fighting now. Mm. And then I've tried to get you away and then nah, back again and still fighting. So it, it feels like almost like uh like a fight in a, uh, in a, in a, in a bar, if you want to say that, mm -hmm. the, the, the Western brawl, if you will, mm. um, whereby, but, yeah, it like, then stumbles outside or whatever, yes. you know, and it's like, you're on the, you're, you're in the, you're at the table, gets flipped over, you're, you're cheating, son of a, psh. then they're on the bar with bottles and then they're outside, you say through the window and then they're in the horse trough. It's like, mm. yeah, cause it's in yes. various components. And then obviously the scene then transitions into a different kind of action scene where it's Spider-Man having to stop the train. But, that's that's separate in my mind. There is the fight, yeah, and then yes. it and then it moves into that different kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. I think that transition between those two scenes is so key because it's the whole Doc Ock playing on Spider Man's like you have to save these people. He reaches in with mm. his tentacles and just grabs two random mm. people on the train and is like, "Good luck catching these Spider Man," and mm. just throws them. And Spider Man's got to catch up with him run along the speeding train whilst also creating webs to save these people off in the corner mm. off the side there and then he doc ock and him are fighting on the side of the train which is a unique thing that because spider-man sticks to stuff he mm. can stand sideways so he's the floor is now the side of the train and the yeah. camera moves and then reveals like oh he's on the side oh yeah. fucking hell okay and then he's over the other side of the train and as you said to him like doc goes through the entire train it almost feels like it should be a 3d film because it's one of those yeah. like coming towards the screen kind of <laughs> things he punches him with one of his tentacles off the train he then falls nearly gets hit by a taxi mm. slingshots all the way back <laughs> up again and then has to catch the people and it's mm. like oh my god there's so much stuff going on mm. and they're talking to each other and then as you said it trend the, the there's a perfect little transition and tying back to what you said earlier matt of like fights tend to end up with somebody running away Doc Ock mm. just goes, your problem now, motherfucker. See you later. <laughs> and just pieces out. And then Spider-Man's like, oh shit, I gotta stop yeah. this train. And oh it, God. And it's a classic thing of a supervillain being like, well, I can't beat this guy in a fair fight. So what I'm going to do yeah. is I'm going to exhaust him doing this other thing. And that this is your problem now. It's your problem now. <laughs> and you are going to knack yourself down yep. doing this. And then I'm going to come back and sucker punch you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Jack. Your final pick. Indeed. I'm going to go back to the 1980s. My God. Yes, indeed. Journaling back to 
one of my favorite directors, one of our favorite directors, the one and only Mr. John Carpenter. JC himself. JC himself. All the way back to 1988. And they live. Because goddamn, I was going to get some wrestling in here mm-hmm. one way or another. Mm-hmm. And Rowdy Roddy <laughs> time, Piper is time here. Time to get rowdy. Time to get rowdy. Time to get wrestling. And it is uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper versus Keith David just punching each other in an alley for a bit. And apparently, this fight was supposed to be like two punches, and then he holds the glasses <laughs> yeah. up to him. And it's like, see, I told you, look at all these creepy alien motherfuckers. And knocks him out with a couple of punches. And Keith David said, I ain't going down like a bitch. <laughs> and without telling John Carpenter, they went off and choreographed this whole thing on the set. And was like, we're just going to do this and hope the cameras keep rolling. <laughs> Which, as, as Jack and I know from experience, is a wrestling thing. Yeah. It's like... Okay. We're going to call it, it in the ring. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be choreographed. We're going to have most of these things nailed down. There may be some stuff we have to adapt to on the day and figure out when we get into it. But between the two people who are involved, obviously the ref's involved in a different way, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, yeah, that's what's going to happen. We'll see how it goes. And we're just going to do this. Yeah. To tie into the choreography of it all and how wrestling specifically is so choreographed, I think because so many people call it fake or whatever, predetermined. It is predetermined. But I think choreographed is one of the better ways to describe professional wrestling. It's a ballet. It's a dance. It's a cooperation between the two combatants in a way that I think a lot of people don't appreciate in many ways. Like some of these moves are not possible without the other guy. He's the one actually doing the move. The guy Mm. who looks like he's receiving the big finishing Mm. move or whatever is actually the guy doing the flip. Yeah. And the other guy's just holding on for dear life and then going, yeah, I did that. The other other guy's kind of holding him up more than he is throwing him. Exactly. Exactly. And there are elements in here and again, from interviews and stuff and, and people talking about this fight specifically, you're totally right, Matt, that some wrestlers go in and they have to meticulously plan every beat. So, okay, we've got 15 minutes of this match. The first two minutes, it's going to be, you know, mostly us just feeling each other out. And then the next five minutes, it's going to be mostly striking. It's going to be a few kicks and punches and stuff. And then it's going to be suplex. And then then we're going to jump off the top rope. And then it'll be another suplex. And then there's going to be a headlock. And some people do it move for move for move for move. That's not typically done in modern wrestling anymore. Bear in mind, this is back in the 80s. And a lot of that was we have a couple of different ideas and a couple of different spots that we want to hit. And then we just kind of work out the rest of it. In that 15 minutes, we need to do these five big things that are going to get a big reaction from the crowd. And then we'll work out the rest as we go. Oh, you're on top for a bit. You're the bad guy. You fight back. And apparently, interviews with Keith David were saying like, yeah, Roddy Piper just turned into Roddy Piper. Mm -hmm. Like He just fully turned up and was like, he's calling this match. He's leading the match. And that's the thing, again, a lot of people, I think, don't appreciate about wrestling. There tends to be a lead in wrestling in the same way that you have people lead you when you're dancing you're doing a tango or whatever you're doing a two-person dance you have someone lead the whole thing and direct it like oh we we're slightly off time here let's get back on that and they're communicating both physically and non like verbally and non-verbally the whole time and that is apparently what they did on this there are real punches being thrown they are real like suplexes where like keith david is picked up and Piper like holds his feet against the wall and then just falls backwards into like a back suplex. He then 
throws him through, like hits him with a dustbin lid and then throws him into a garbage, like a big dumpster <laughs> thing and all this kind of stuff. All like planned and choreographed and stuff, but pretty much real. And they were like quite cut up and bruised after it, apparently. Because they were like, yeah, as Keith Davis said, I ain't going down like a bitch. Mm. So they were like, fuck it. We're just going to throw actual punches and see what happens. And Roddy Paper apparently started off throwing like wrestling punches. Mm. So he was making them look like they were hitting. And then Keith said, Keith Davis said, come on, motherfucker, hit me. <laughs> so they just hit each other. And it turns Actors. into, it, it, yeah, it goes from what was supposed to be like a 30, 45 second thing of, Oh, God. oh, look at the glasses. Punch, punch. See? Look, glasses. Aliens. Done. Into like a six-minute back-alley brawl between these two. And they're not small men. They're not like crazy 80s action. Like mm. They're not Schwarzenegger size. They're somewhere in between. Because mm. Roddy Piper is a professional wrestler. He's a big dude. He's six mm. foot plus. So is Keith David. These mm. are physically big blokes. It's like two bouncers having a fight outside. I think, holy shit. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's this weird blend of real do, real big blokes just scrapping and throwing punches, and then oh yeah, he's a professional wrestler. <laughs> suddenly, suddenly there's a suplex. Suddenly there's this move, and then he's like choking him and stuff. You're like, oh yeah, that's the thing. It's, it's this brilliant weird blend of realistic fighting and then also professional wrestling. And I think so many professional wrestlers, especially in the like two thousands ish era when The Rock first started becoming an actor and before he was known as Dwayne Johnson, you know, biggest movie star in the world as he is now, he would just show up, do a couple of wrestling moves in a fight scene and fuck off again. Mm. He did it in Star Trek Voyager. And I remember it blowing my dad's mind <laughs> when I went, it's The Rock. And he just shows up, does the people's eyebrow, does the whole taunt thing, does a rock bottom mm. and wins. And you're like, oh, he's, he's not acting. He's just doing more wrestling mm. stuff. And somehow, because I, I fucking love They Live, you know, we talked about it on our live stream. We all know how much we all love John Carpenter. But the Piper's performance in this film is so brilliant and he doesn't feel too much like Roddy Piper. And then in this moment, you're like, oh yeah, it's Roddy Piper. <laughs> he's a professional wrestler. He's, 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 he's snapped. He's now gone back to like the, the, the muscle memory of like, oh no, we've lost him. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. He's leading the way. He's he's pulling this just performance out of Keith David in a really interesting way, and they both said they had a huge like amount of fun doing it, and everybody on the crew fucking hated them for doing it because they were like, "Oh, we got a, right. You've got a black eye now. We've got to work it out with makeup. Yeah. You fucking idiots. Yeah. Can you not do this?" Could you? John Carpenter apparently was like, "You should have fucking told me." He was like, <laughs> "Yeah, we probably should, but it looks great." Right? He's like, "It was great, but next time, fucking tell me." <laughs> And I, I I love little weird behind the scenes things like that and how this fight just apparently got bigger and bigger the more they talked about it and the more they planned it. It was like, well, it's 30 seconds. Maybe maybe we'll make it 90 seconds. And it's like six minutes later, they're both <laughs> knackered, bruised, and bloody on the floor. <laughs> it's indulgence. It's the 80s, goddammit. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I absolutely love that scene in, in They Live and it's stupid, ridiculous fun. And now, if you didn't already know that story, go and watch that fight again. Yeah. Again, playlist in the show notes. If you've got to go and check it out and realize, oh, yeah, they're really just hitting each other and just chucking each other about. It's ridiculous. Once you know that, you can really notice it. And I think that kind of adds another layer to it as well, which is already a scene I already enjoyed. Mm. 
Matthew, how about you and your last pick? Okay, so we've done um, heightened all over the place uh, one-on-one. We've done much more grounded one versus a group. What's left? Well, I thought I'd bring in a Bruce as well. <laughs> I thought I'd bring back Sam Raimi. Oh. The culmination, the crossover, the Venn diagram. Let's talk about Evil Dead. Yeah. So. Something I don't think we've touched on much on the show before I don't know if really. We have really. No, mm. it hasn't really been a, a conversation that's been relevant for it to come up, but Evil Dead 2 specifically. Cuz Evil Dead 1 is great, Evil Dead 2 is better. It is. Even though it's kind of the same film again, and Army of Darkness is uh, also fantastic but an actual sequel. Mm. So in Evil Dead 2, a bit of context. Bruce Campbell <laughs> Plays the three stooges. Fucking hell. <laughs> this, is, this is like um, as, as, as ground down as you can. So, um, you know, The Matrix is a, now we would consider reasonably mid-tier budget science fiction action film. Old Boy is an international uh, neo-thriller sort of noir kind of film um, with obviously various components and elements, but again, moderate budget. This is like back pocket lint <laughs> shit. And it's... Um, where so many people got their starts, like, you know, obviously people like Nicotero and other visual effects people and things. And um, Sam Raimi, director of things like Spider-Man uh, and, and Spider-Man, and then Doctor Strange. Um, and obviously we covered him like, what's well, yeah, great and powerful. Yeah. Oh, but the point God. is that um, his, his roots are horror and it's uh, visceral and dark and gory and nasty. And just, just like, like, vile intentionally vile. and i don't mean like almost childishly vile like yeah oh there's oodles of blood it's fucking pouring out of everything there's just liquids that don't make sense and everyone's got these um intensely um whited out eyes and it's all very nasty and blah. and also because it's so low budget and so independent everything is you know oh we'll make a mold someone's face oh we've torn their eyebrows off oh those eye those those white uh scalper style contact lenses uh, you're, you're basically blind. You're going to run into a wall and you're going to hurt yourself. No health and safety. How do we get the visual of a camera going through a window? Just attach it to some fucking two by fours and smash it through the window. Yeah. Is that our only camera? Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, fuck me. Um, all that being said, at the very center of this is Bruce Campbell playing the role of Ash. Uh, our lovable hero, the chin. Um, <laughs> and he's in this cabin and it's haunted and possessed by a thousand demons because of the Necronomicon, a book of the dead, human skin. It's like, oh, it's all awful. And he may think of conjuring images of like, you know, you know, the exorcist and all sorts of like very dark and terrifying things. It's like, yeah, that is there. But Sam Raimi also likes comedy. He likes slapstick. He likes the Three Stooges. He likes silly shit. And so this is a sort of hybrid of those things. You get really, you know, visceral dark uncomfortable vile stuff and then dumb child humor in there as well mm -hmm. and this particular fight is the kind of culmination that for me and what i wanted to i wanted to bring something like this in it was either going to be from fight club or superman 3 <laughs> but i settled on this wow that's a that's a trilogy of films right there. it really is that's a, that's a marathon that's um, a good afternoon's watching <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because for an actor and for a, a cast crew and all that stuff, fighting 
other people involves a lot of setup, a lot of uh, manipulation, a lot of these things and and uh, and choreography. Fighting yourself <laughs> is a whole nother thing. So at one point, Bruce Campbell's character is possessed, and uh, it's like, oh, okay, okay, it's out of my system, everything's fine, and then he realizes it's in his hand, his right hand. And he's like, oh, you bastards, my hair, you bastards. It's all very silly. And, you know, in that why are you hitting yourself kind of thing, Bruce Campbell is basically just throwing himself around this kitchen, yep. finding everything, plates, smashing himself in the face and just hitting himself. Doof, 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 doof. And at one point he is knocked out. But the hand is still going, making these little squeaky noises. And it just drums on its fingers like, oh, the fuck can I do? Ah, and it's like ugh, the little animation, and all the while, you know, it's Bruce Campbell puppeteering basically his hand, but he's knocked out like he's cold. He's lying flat on the floor, and the the hand reaches out and then drags the body up, yep. and the whole thing ends hilariously and ridiculously with the realization that Campbell's like, oh uh, well, Ash, sorry, is like, oh god, oh god, there's only one thing I could do, like like a gangrene spreading you know, rot in my system. And he revs up a chainsaw and says, who's laughing now? And starts cutting his own hand off. It sounds, it's, it's, it's a horrible thing, but it's also really fucking funny. And then the hand starts running around and he has obviously the, the chainsaw fashioned to his arm. It's so stupid. But the physicality of the camera just rushing around, sorry, running around trying to find this thing, trying to find a focus, trying to find a framing. And Campbell just, launching himself all over the, the the whole we don't have a stunt crew it's the actor just <laughs> it's it's an amazing himself. physical performance it is yes. yeah and i love it i love it i love the way it starts off like he's exhausted and then like rests washes his hands in the, in yeah. the sink and then his right hand starts to creep across the 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 sink like what is that doing? grabs a plate and just smashes it over the like, <laughs> god damn it it's still in the hand it's yeah. so funny and the, the fact that it is just like grabbing stuff from nearby cupboards and smashing it over his head he somehow like flips himself obviously i know how he, does, he just yes. does a mm. again going back to wrestling terminology he does a flip bump like mm. he mm -hmm. fully somersaults and lands on his back and the hair, his own hand grabs him by the scruff and like flips him over. Yeah. Like that's fucking genius idea for that choreography. It's so silly and so stupid. Mm -hmm. And then you're both totally right. Like to actually appreciate the fact that Bruce Campbell is just doing this all himself and actually being able to work out. Okay, if I flip this way mm -hmm. and then throw myself this way, I still have room to grab this thing. Yeah, and he'll be looking in a different direction while his hand is doing something else. Yeah. Mm for want of a better phrase, like outside of his field of vision, like off camera, mm -hmm. and then comes back and will punch himself or hit himself or whatever it is. And then, like you said, Matt, when he's knocked out and you get the little, like, expressions, mm. for want of a better phrase, yeah, I don't know yeah. how a hand can express things, <laughs> but the little, like, hmm, what do I do next? Like tapping of the fingers and then the dragging. And he is so perfectly ragdolled. Mm -hmm. It's just this limp body and him dragging himself. It so I mean, feels like it's a puppet, like pulling mm -hmm. him across. It's it's brilliant, brilliant physical performance. To to go back to the thing we spoke about at the very beginning, 
Bruce Campbell sells the hell out of this fight. 100%. There it is. Yes. Like, he, he, he is both the attacker and the attackee, and he manages to make both incredibly convincing. Because you genuinely, and you know it's impossible. You know it's stupid. <laughs> but you genuinely at one point go, this is a fight between two people. Yeah. yeah. Now it's Bruce Campbell in his hand, mate. Yeah. <laughs> you could do this. It's like, nah. Nah, it must be some sort of trickery of the eye. Some sort yeah. of special effects. It's like, no, 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 no. This is just... This is just literally back to that 1920s. It, 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 this is obviously in the in the 80s at this point, but it's reverting back to the roots of slapstick, the mm. roots of and it, for, for comedy purposes, but done in this very mm. you know. Again, it ends up with the man just covered in his own blood, screaming, yeah. and then the hand runs away. He's trying to like stab it and hammer the walls. Yeah. It's all fucking ridiculous. I mean, like heightened upon heightened upon mm. heightened upon heightened. But in that moment, I'm like this is brilliant. Yeah. And I love it. And I want to mention amongst all the precision of the of the kung fu mm. in the matrix and the serious yeah. stoic masculinity. Absolutely. And there's just this man smashing his plates into his own face. Yeah. And every now and again you think it's settled down. Doof, 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 doof. Brilliant. Tim, take us home with your final pick. Who are yep. you bringing home and fighting, Tim? I am like I said, I've gone from quite uh, arbitrary spectacle-based fights to something that is incredible spectacle, but is also part one of the emotional hearts of the movie, uh, and that is the fight between Shulian uh, and Jen in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. We couldn't let it go. Hey, yeah. I mean, we talked about this extensively. In our Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon episode, Funny as that. might surprise you, um, how much we love this film. And uh, to me, this is the absolute peak of it. It's not quite the finale, but it might as well be. Yeah. yeah. Because in terms of action and in, term, in terms of action, it is flawless. It's such a brilliant conceit for the fight um, where if you haven't seen it, A look it up or look at look at our little playlist that we've made and it is uh these two characters in this sort of martial arts temple dojo type structure and jen has the green destiny which is this mythical sword that can kind of cut through anything that she has stolen and julien basically goes through a bunch of other weapons um ranging from swords to spears to what basically just looks like a pipe of like a brass yeah. pipe yeah, yeah uh at one point she like tries to pick up this huge like ornate hammer thing that is literally too heavy, too heavy for, yeah. <laughs> for her yeah. to lift she just kind of throws it down with frustration again bringing in that physical comedy right yeah There's elements of that it can be an intense emotional mm. fight scene but there's that little moment of like, Ugh, oh, God, oh, fuck, I can't, fuck this, I can't pick yeah, this yeah. up. Like, it's brilliant. Um, and then finally ending up with a sword that is quite similar to the Green Destiny in design, in that it's like a double-edged straight sword, and it is an astonishing piece of fight choreography, and it is also about the culmination, in part, not quite the full culmination, but it is, it is a inflection point in their relationship because they have had this strange sisterhood friendship where 
Jen is kind of so jealous of Shudien's friend, uh, adventurous life as being one of these uh, roving kind of warrior monk type people, but is young and doesn't appreciate the sacrifices that Shudien has had to make to live that life. And they're both going through these different romantic relationships that they're dealing with. And it's all centered around this this betrayal that Jen does of, of stealing this sword. And just before this fight happens, they they basically say, like, fine, not friends, not sisters. Like, you are a thief. You that sword does not belong to you. I'm going to take it back. Yeah. And and Jen is basically like come and get it basically like i feel betrayed by you you want it come and get it and the way that the 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 pacing of this fight is so impeccable because it is that jen is this kind of prodigy and is also also wielding this incredible sword that can do so much and so but Julien has this experience and she has this versatility and she's also in the right in this situation um and seeing them play off against each other is so perfectly paced where you will see Julien change weapon and it outfoxes Jen and she ha- struggles to keep up but then because the sword is so good it eventually destroys the thing that they're fighting with and the green destiny remains and the way that the fight moves back and forward and evolves and the the way that the, the the different weapons change how the fight is structured and the and the 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 impact of the blows it's just exquisite and it, it and it it boils down their relationship as well because it really gets to that that the jen can see all these things that she would like to achieve in the way that Shudien is, but she doesn't. Un- she and she has all this talent, but she doesn't understand the real nature of the thing. And it's not until the actual end of the film that she starts to get an idea of that. And um, it's it's a- an amazing soundtrack as well, which we haven't really touched on. That's true. That music is so important, and and soundtracking to a film uh, to Absolutely, a fight, yeah is so key and and like throughout this film the score is absolutely pitch perfect um just a an astonishing bit of filmmaking i can't I, it, it's hard for me to talk about for much <laughs> no, longer no, no, no. because i want to talk about it but it's just like i'm just like it's just so fucking good it's a fucking masterpiece <laughs> yeah. we already covered it on an episode we yeah. listened to that we talked about mm. the first movie and the unfortunate mm. sequel extensively and Go and check out the playlist in the show notes. Put it simply. Probably the best thing to do. Yeah. Either do that as we're going along. I think that'll work pretty well, but you need to pause and, as you said, <laughs> Tim, appreciate the sound work, appreciate the sound design, appreciate the music that goes with it because they are so key elements to these fight scenes that really bring the whole thing all together. But yes, let us know what you think of our picks for fight scenes. Some of your favorite fight scenes. Please do share if you have clips of them on YouTube. We'd love to see them. We will share them around. I'm sure the Discord will be full of discussion with this sort of stuff yep. when this episode comes out and i'm sure all our social media stuff will be as well uh, yeah I'm, I'm i'm very much assuming the words 
Why didn't you mention hundred percent marching along? Yeah, and we all have many honourable mentions that we would not get into because this episode would be eight hours long if we talked about every fight yeah. that we enjoyed in films. Yeah, we've covered a few of them already in previous episodes. Like I said, Crouching Tiger episode, the Shanghai Knights episode. Um, we did sports movies, and I talked about Warrior. There's been a, a bunch of different stuff we've talked about mm. throughout the the years and years we've been doing sequels. We touch on fight scenes a fair amount. But hopefully we've covered a nice breadth and depth of different fight scenes and different types of fight scenes we've seen throughout the history of cinema. And we've covered, again, a multitude of different decades, different elements of realistic to more fantastical. But please do let us know. If you think there is some hidden gem fight scene we've not seen before, please do let us know. We Mm. want to see it. (laughs) I, I am always keen to experience new fight scenes and... Again, whether that's realistic martial arts type stuff, fantastical martial arts stuff, mad superhero crazy fantasy bollocks. We didn't even get into like animated fight scenes. Oh my much. God, mm. we didn't. Jesus Christ, yeah. Yeah. It didn't even occur to me that's how many good oh, I, live action fight scenes. I there was are. like, yeah, I was toying with a lot of anime stuff going, ah, of course. But oh, yeah. I could have talked about Cowboy Bebop. Oh no. Even like things like uh, in Kubo and the Two Strings, the oh. fight on the boat, and you're like, my God, how did you do this in stop motion? Seriously. Holy shit. Yeah. yeah. There are so many extra options. I'm sure we will all be sharing more again on the Discord and in social media. So. Please do check that. If you go to sequelizers.com, you get a link for the Discord, the little invite button there. It will land you straight into our server. It's just over 200 people all talking about the latest episode when it comes out. We pretty much have a Patreon release kind of initial chat on the Friday when the episode comes out and then a full chat when it comes out on the Tuesday for everyone else as well. So there's kind of a two-pronged post-show discussion that happens on the discord and everyone's very courteous with spoiler tags yes we are very very strict with spoiler tags everybody tags it you know the patrons that are seeing it on the friday do make sure they spoiler tag everything so it doesn't ruin the episode for you if you're listening to it in the future on tuesday as well the same is true for all of the channels as well we are we literally have a rule in our rules about spoilers so if you're worried about joining a film discussion or tv or video games or books or whatever it is then uh, don't worry about spoilers, basically. We have got a pretty amazing community there that are really accommodating, really friendly, really welcoming, and you literally get a welcoming committee of bizarre gifts and other <laughs> things when you join as well. So be prepared for that. And uh, a couple of interesting questions from one of our VIPs as part of the welcoming committee as well. Um, you can, of course, find us on Twitter and Instagram and if, if Twitter's still around by the time this episode comes out, I feel like I've said that for the last few episodes and it's getting more and more true every day. Who knows? Who knows we'll be running Twitter by the time this episode comes out. You can, of course, find the links for all of that on sequelizers.com. We are at sequelizers on basically everything. I am JLW Chambers on pretty much everything. Matt, where can they find you across the internet? Stogs, S-T-O-G-H-Z on all the various social medias. You can also go to theredrighthand.co.uk to read my reviews. You can go to cheesemint.com to see the things that I make. You can also search for Sumo Drop Pod on something like Twitter to see my sumo wrestling coverage. Tim, if I wanted to pick a fight with you, oh. where would I go to post something in your name saying, Tim, I'm calling you out for a fight? <laughs> Uh, you could join me where most of the internet does its fighting on Twitter. <laughs> ah. Trivia underscore lad is uh, my handle on there uh, for the moment until it all falls down a drain. Yeah, it's just true. It, it, 
going to inevitably fall down and drain at some point. But thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. If you do support us on Patreon, we understand times are tough. We've been saying that for the last fucking three years at this point, even longer. The entire team. Thirty-eight been... fucking years of my life since Savannah talk a bit tough, apparently. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> We're living in unprecedented times. Again, when do they just become presidented? You know. Mm. But yes, if you can't support us or are unable to support us on Patreon, we would massively appreciate if you just spread the word, essentially. Share us around on social media. Tell your friends about us. Just If they're into movies, they're into podcasts, recommend the show. And of course, you can review us on your podcast app of choice, whether that's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. Give us a review on there. That helps spread us digitally and recommend us through their algorithms and stuff like that as well. So yeah, thank you very much for your support. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week with something completely different, because that's how the interseason works. <laughs> it's a mad cavalcade of nonsense, and there's plenty more to look forward to before we get to requalizers in season 12. Until then, thank you very much for listening. <laughs> 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 <laughs>